And so the next couple months of parties that I went to, I got completely taken advantage of and I got raped by two different men. I thought to myself, I'm going to use men. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what they did to me. I would not date white guys, Hispanic, Middle Eastern, or black guys. It was always Asian. Pick the Asian because they have the most money. They're quick. Get in and out of there and make a lot of money quickly. And it was so easy. I took my clothes off. And the guy sat there and he couldn't control himself. So got dressed, walked out, took the money. I was making deals with some of the managers and doing unethical sexual things to make it happen. So technically, I was still using my looks and my sexuality to get what I needed to make myself successful with my partner. And he didn't know that part, by the way. So if you watch this video, I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but yep, I sure was doing that. And when people accuse me that, oh, you got out because you were you were all used up and you looked ugly. Who are these people no, actually, that are accusing you of stuff? You'll be surprised. <laughs> you'll have you'll have them in your comments. Trust me, they'll be in these comments on this feed. You'll see them. And those are the haters. Hey, they're gonna hate. Hey, they're gonna hate. Romans eight. Look, who doesn't love money? Who doesn't need money to survive? Duh. When I brought my boyfriend from Minnesota down to Las Vegas, the first night that I worked, he beat the living crap out of me. That was a really hard time in my life. I think back to that young girl. And I just, I wish I would have left that night. Hey, this is Matt Cox, and I am going to be doing an interview with Annie Lobert. She is a former call girl and currently runs an organization called Hookers for Jesus, which I love the name. And it's going to be an interesting interview. I can tell because I can already tell she's a character and check it out. I was born in General Hospital, if you want to get real technical. On September 26th at 9.36 at night in Minneapolis, Minnesota. <laughs> All right. Were your parents... Can you hear my accent? <laughs> Not really, but I don't know what a Minnesota oh. accent sounds like. Well, Minnesota accent says, uh, hey, you know, I'd like you to come over to dinner and have some supper. Kind of like... <laughs> That and, kind uh, of Canadian almost sounds Canadian. Yeah, a little, a little Canadian. And then it, you would say to someone, "Hey, would you like a pop?" You're like, "What's a pop?" Wait, this is like sounds like um Fargo. Yeah, it's a little bit like Fargo. If you're in Minnesota a little too long, it can end up being like the Fargo accent, definitely. And it's called the OA accent. It's also called the too nice or the Minnesota nice. That's what people call it. And back in the day, Minnesota was not really on the map except for Walter Mondale. If you can think of politics way back when, Walter Mondale, and he obviously became the vice, was he the vice president? I think he was. He was our governor as well for a minute. But Minnesota wasn't really on the map except for a couple Hollywood stars. I think Lonnie Anderson's one of them. And Bob Dylan. 
hey, Bob Dylan, we got a music. And then we got, of course, we got someone that really put him on the map really well. His name was Prince Rogers Nelson and his whole entourage of Purple Rain and Prince and the Revolution, which I did actually know several of the people with that whole entourage and knew one of the men that actually ran the music as director and was a friend of mine. And I dated him for a little bit too, before he became famous. So, yeah. So, I mean, were you <laughs> so back to, so your parents, like were your parents married? Do you have brothers, yes. sisters? Were you raised in? My parents? Yeah, I was raised in Minneapolis in the very beginning. As a little girl though, I first was raised on a farm in Egan, Minnesota. Okay. And Cannon Falls as well. My dad had this crazy, itchy, let's move around. Let's go here. Let's go there. He could never stay in one place for too long. What did and he do? So, many, many things? or My dad was in the Air Force, but then he got kicked out because he showed up hungover a lot. And he was drinking. So they said, you're out of here, bro. Because guess what my dad did in the Air Force? He was an airplane mechanic. So you can't be drunk and be an airplane. Mechanic. No, that's an issue. Or I mean, yeah, you can't be hung over because technically you might still be drunk. Right. <laughs> so my father got kicked out. I think my dad felt very ashamed of that. And my dad started working at different companies. He would do maintenance. But let me tell you what would happen to him. He would end up getting the supervisor position wherever he worked. My dad was very smart. He could fix anything like anything like TV was broken. The lights turned off. The furnace shut off. My dad could figure out how to fix it. But That's just have, the way he was. What about brothers, sisters? Yeah, I had two. I have two brothers and a sister. And I actually have a third brother that I didn't know about. My dad was married prior to being married to my mother. And we didn't find out about that till just a couple years ago. My dad kept it very secret. So I have an older brother that is in Illinois and he's my oldest, oldest brother. I've only met him over the phone. And then my full time, two brothers, my oldest brother, and then my younger brother. And then my sister, she was the oldest of our entire family at the time that we knew of anyway. She died when she was 31. I was 26 at the time. And she died of a massive heart attack. Her aortic valve burst in half. And no one gave her CPR at her job, which she was working for Investors Diversified Services. I don't know if you know what that is, but that is American Express Home Office, IDS Financial. And I actually got a job at that company when I was 18 years old. But that's where my sister passed away. And after two weeks, they took her off the ventilator and let her die. It was horrific because she lost 18 minutes of oxygen. And anytime you lose 18 minutes of oxygen, usually you have hypoxia. And hypoxia is a loss of oxygen to the brain tissue. When the brain loses the loss of oxygen, we know what happens next. Brain cells die. You become a vegetable, basically. Yeah. So my sister, you know, I got to see her pass away. And at the time, believe it or not, I was being sex trafficked during that entire episode of her dying. So I was pretty bitter by her death. I was mad at God. 
I pretty much called God every swear word in the book. And I tried to kill myself by, you know what? I've done many things with drugs, killing with drugs, uh, but mostly the main tool I used in the very beginning of me trying to get rid of myself was driving my 5.0 Mustang, flooring the speedometer all the way to the floor, so 140 miles an hour, and then yelling at God with one hand, just flip the car, God, just flip the car. Take the rest of me out since you took my sister. I was so mad. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, that was a part of my life that was really a hard time. And the part that led up to that, I know you're going to ask questions. Keep going. Go, Keep going. Well, I was going to say, what led up to that? What What is, you know, how old were you when this started? How did it start? So... The first time that I got abused sexually was from a next door neighbor in Minneapolis. And I learned about pornography. I learned about toys. So just let your imagination run. How old were and you? I was eight years old. There's no little girl that should be seeing those type of things, by the way, eight years old. But unfortunately we have cell phones now. Guess what? Candy store for the kids. They can see whatever they want in that little little box. My, my box is a sparkle box though, because everything about me sparkles. So, um, <laughs> but, uh, I never told anyone. I kept that so secret inside of me. So I was being abused for about a year, year and a half. Might've been about two years, but I just didn't tell anyone. And is this I an felt adult? like, is this like an adult or is this an, uh, another, like a teenager? Yeah someone that was supposed to be a friend. Yeah. Okay. So I just never told anyone and I kept that secret inside of me. Then when I was a teenager, I finally, you know, I've got all this anger inside of me because of that. But not only that, my daddy was hitting my mother in front of us kids and he was hitting us. He would come home from work and just rage and yell and scream and chain smoke his cigarettes. He was an alcoholic until I was about three. And then I remember him getting dry. And that's what they call it in the alcohol game is you become, and when you're an unhealed alcoholic, it's a, you're called a dry drunk. So my dad came home from AA. I think he went to the program for a month. He took off for about a month. Then he came back, but he went for a whole year. He did the full 12 months, the 12-step the program, and came home with a little Bible. I'll never forget, like a little tiny little Bible. And uh, I don't really remember him talking about the meetings or anything like that. I was a little girl still. so I'm, And I have a lot of my memories kind of fragmented. I don't know about you and your memories, but when you're in a traumatic situation, so I didn't know this at the time, but when I looked back at my life, like if you look at it like a fishbowl and you're looking at different parts of your life and you can kind of see where everything kind of takes a turn for the worst and the water start getting really dark and then the storm comes and you're like, what's going on over here? I basically was living in a cesspool of complex trauma and it's trauma ramped up about 10 or 20 times. So there's a difference between trauma, PTSD, and then complex trauma. So PTSD is a one-time off event. So let's just say, for instance, you 
have a car accident and someone dies. That's total. You can get PTSD from that, right? You just can't. Right. And or an earthquake happens and you witness people getting hurt or buildings falling in front of you or you witness a tornado or someone gets raped. I don't want to bring up bad things, but it is or maybe one time they got sexually abused. One time you got beat up at school, you got bullied that that can cause PTSD if you don't get healed from that. And if, you, if it doesn't ever get, you know, a closure, so to speak, and you don't get to talk to someone about that, you carry that with you. Now, complex trauma, on the other hand, forms when it's happening on a repetitive, uh, repetitive basis. So you're in a situation where you can't leave and you're stuck there. So dad hitting mother, hitting us children, yelling at all of us, abusing all of us emotionally, mentally, and physically, staying in that life, staying with my family, not running away. That can actually create, when you're from an abusive family like that, severe complex trauma. So as a setup for the enemy, because that's what the enemy wants us to have, is they want us to have, I should say us, <laughs> people. The enemy, we all know the devil, right? And his minions, his demons, needs to have someone hurt, broken, afraid, full of fear, full of trauma for them to actually enter the sex industry. That's usually the setup. But actually when I started school, I went to seven, eight different schools growing up. The reason why I went to seven or eight different schools is because my father, he would move somewhere and then move our family within a couple of years. We'd find a new spot to move into, which is so crazy, random, weird. But I think my dad was chasing happiness. Nothing was ever good enough for him. And by the way, and rest, let him rest in peace because he's in heaven now. He had a antique addiction. He had to have antiques all throughout our house. So when I grew up, we couldn't even roughhouse because there's antiques everywhere. And you know what happens when you're roughhouse, right, Matt? Things fall furniture. over. Things get broken. Lamps get broken, stained glass breaks in the windows. I mean, and trust me, that happened to all of us in our family growing up. But um, when I was a young girl in Minnesota, I went to, let's see, one, two, three, four different schools, four different schools, and actually went to a private school as well. My dad had this weird thing happen when we were moving into fifth or sixth grade, the school that I was going to in South Minneapolis shut down. And then they transferred us to this place called Hans Christian Anderson School. My dad didn't like it. It was inner city. He didn't want me to be around people that weren't all, I inner guess, city my people. color. Yeah. He, okay. he didn't want me to be mixed with Indians, Mexicans, and Blacks, basically. And there's a lot of inner city I don't want to call it that, but there's just people. There's many different colors in South Minneapolis. It's the way it is, right? And there's white people too, but there is tension in Minneapolis. There always was. I saw it a long time ago. I used to be bullied in school. I was bullied by Indian girls. I had these two twins that used to throw rocks at me and push me and choke me and throw me down, spit on me and stomp on me. I had a couple Indian girls at school. They did the same thing. 
And this is what's cool as I had this girl named Cassie when I was in fifth grade and actually left parochial school, started going to Hans Christian Anderson. I was at the monkey bars the second day I was at school. And I remember her coming up. There were these two Indian girls and they wanted to just basically kick my butt, right? She stepped in front of them like superwoman, put her hands on her hips and said, if you want to hit her, you got to go through me. Okay. This girl was so drop dead gorgeous. She looked like Whitney Houston and she was snapping her gum and she had long hair down to her butt and it was all real. And she was like, do you know these girls? And I was like, no, she goes, well, guess what? They're not going to mess with you ever again. Sure enough, those girls never mess with me again. And that girl became my best friend. And it's funny because my dad had no idea just because you're in an inner city school, it doesn't mean you're going to get corrupted or turn into a bad person. Like I met the best people when I was in that school. I really did. Yeah, there were bullies there, but I'm, I was like a minority. I'm like a very rare white person, which that didn't bother me too much. I didn't think I was, you know, I didn't feel like a minority. I knew I was, but I didn't feel like one. I just kind of felt special because I was, you know, I had like pink skin, you know? So, but anyway, how we ended up moving. Go ahead. I was going to say, how long were you there? And you know, what what's going on? So we were, we were at Hans Christian Anderson for a couple of years and I was actually really upset with my father because Cassie was one of my best friends and another girl named Brenda. And so when he moved us away from that school, he moved the entire family to Wisconsin about 75 miles away. I was devastated. The only thing back then, we didn't have cell phones. We could write our friends or call them long distance. And my mom and dad wouldn't let me call long distance because it costs money. So I could hardly ever talk to my friends. I would try to save my allowance to be able to make a phone call to my friends and say, hey, I'm gonna come up and visit this summer. And that's the only time I could see my friends was once a summer during school vacation. And the only reason why if I did go back to Minneapolis is because I'd go stay with my grandma and my grandpa for a week. Didn't but, you make um, new friends? I did, school? Matt. I did, Matt. But listen, when I first got to that school, I was very shy. And I know that doesn't make sense because the way that I am now. But I was like, I think I was so afraid of being bullied again. I kind of went into like a clamshell state where I didn't. I didn't really want to talk to anybody and I just kind of kept to myself, but I ended up making some friends, but I did get bullied at that school. And that lasted until I was probably about ninth grade. Yeah. I got bullied that whole time. And it's funny because that school was all white kids. And maybe there was one, one of my girlfriends, she was black and she actually married my brother, by the way. She was the only black girl in the whole school. She became my friend. And I don't know why they bullied me. I, I don't really understand bullying and why kids do that because right. it doesn't make sense to me. I feel like there's something got to be wrong with you or maybe you were bullied yourself to make you want to do that to another child. I, I just don't understand the mentality. You know, I just don't. And, and 
if anyone tries to make me, I get it, the psychology part of it, but there is something inside of us that says yes and no, this is right or this is wrong. And to me, children can make a choice. It's a choice to be nice or a choice to be mean. So that was a hard experience. Then we moved again. <laughs> when I was in 10th grade, we, I just before coming into 10th grade, we moved to another town in Wisconsin, about 30 or 40 miles away to a totally new school, had to try to fit in again. This time I wasn't having any shyness. I was like, you know what? I'm going to make friends. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to party with my friends. Um, I had gotten drunk one time when I was 14. I went and visited my sister in Minneapolis and I went to my first Prince concert. So it's right when Purple Rain came out. That was like a magical time for me, by the way. That was that whole movie and the whole scene of Prince and the whole crazy music scene that happened. I loved it. Like purple was my favorite color. It still is to this day. I love purple. I love pink too, but don't get me wrong. Purple is my friend too. So when I went to school, high school, the rest of high school, I started partying a lot with my friends and I made fast friends. Like I was friends with the, they called them the dirt balls, the sports kids. And then like the, we had, okay, we had the dirt balls, the sport, the sports kids, and then the druggies. So there was three classes of people you could hang out with. I was friends with all of them. That's the way I am. I love people. I'm a people person. I'm an extrovert. So when I was going to the parties, unfortunately, because of what had happened to me as a little girl, I had this boyfriend and he made me make him, I don't know. He was like the best thing that ever happened to me. I fell in love with them. I wanted to get married. I felt like if I'm going to give my virginity to someone, this is going to be the guy, you know, and he's going to be that guy. He's going to be the guy I marry, have babies with. Well, we broke up and it devastated me. And so the next couple months of parties that I went to, I got completely taken advantage of and I got raped by two different men. One of them was 23 years old and I don't know what he was doing at a teenage party. Like, obviously the dude's a pedophile, you know? Like, dude, what are you doing at a teenage party? Like all of us kids are like 15, 16, 17, 18 years old. What are you doing here, bro? But he raped me and I don't consider it like de-virginizing though, because I don't want to be graphic or mean, but he wasn't very well endowed. So, and I'm not trying to cap on anybody, but, uh, <laughs> To me, that wasn't a true diversionization, even though he took advantage of me sexually. I did devastate me though. And then I had another, one of my best girlfriends, her supposedly ex, he raped me at a party as well. And same thing with him. He wasn't well endowed. And so when my other boyfriend found out about this, he lost it. Um, he wasn't very happy. And of course I was just like devastated as well. We got back together and Did you call the police. No, I didn't know that I could. 
I mean, this is the 1980s, bro. Like 1985, 84, 86. Like you don't call the cops. It's just, and it's a small town. You don't do that. If I admit that I'm at a party drinking, we're passing around joints and I'm having sex or I'm people are, I'm kissing men and I'm kissing boys taking my shirt off or they're taking my shirt off. In other words, cause I didn't usually take my shirt off. It's usually a situation where I was drunk and they took my clothes off. So it's still technically a rape, even though I've been drinking, we're playing quarters. So I think I got really embittered as a young teenage girl and really upset with men. And I didn't trust them anymore. When I left high school, it, the devil had my heart. Like, I was like, you know what? F a man. And I wish a man would. Like, I, I thought to myself, I'm going to use men. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what they did to me. I'm going to use them for sex. Did, did you stay in, in Minneapolis? Or did you stay in that area? Did you? No, you know what? I, at that time, I was not Minneapolis, but I moved out oh, from you, Wisconsin. Was, uh, Wisconsin. Yeah. And then I moved to Minneapolis. I moved in with my sister, got a job within a week, got another job within a couple weeks after that. Like I had three jobs. I was working at IDS Financial and then I was working at Deluno's Pizza on the weekends. And then at night I worked at Ichiban's Japanese Steakhouse, Teppanyaki. They just closed it down last year. I'm not very happy about that because you had to wear the kimono. You had to wear the Hachi slippers. You had to wear the toe socks that split your your two front toes in half like i was legitly a geisha girl okay had my hair up with little chopsticks in it and just the you know there's another white girl that worked there but most of the ladies that were working there were asian so i was very proud of myself because i thought i'm gonna get my own apartment i'm gonna get my life together get my car get my apartment become a businesswoman you know have my own sort of entrepreneurship, something. I liked jewelry. I look at this little sparkle right here. Hey, got my little gem on today. Um, I wanted to start my own jewelry business and uh, I never got the chance to, but one day that's gonna happen, one day. I ended up going out to the nightclubs because I had, you know, I love to dance. Me and my girlfriend, we got, I borrowed her, one of my girlfriend's IDs. She was drinking age. I wasn't. And I started going out to the nightclubs on the weekends. And then sometimes during the week, they had like Tuesday nights were ladies night and Thursdays. So we would go out to Tuesdays and Thursdays and we would go dancing and drinking and drinking Long Island iced teas. And one night that we were out, we were at this place called Marshall's, which now it's called Choices. It is a strip club in downtown Minneapolis currently right now. Anyone, you all look it up, it's called Choices. And the owner at the time, Marsh, he let me and my girlfriend in knowing we're underage, knowing that we were not legal. And we walk in there and we're sitting at the bar. We're like, yeah, we own this place, we're hot. We look good. We got our mini skirts on. You know, I, I remember that was the 80s. So I had the padded giant jacket. Right. 
with my little tiny little mini skirt. Had my hair scooched up really high. My hair kind of looks 80s right now, doesn't it? My hair bit. was scooched up really high. And I was uh, just like totally like Robert Palmer. The lights are on. You're not home. I mean, might as well face it because you're addicted to love. That was me. I still somehow, though, Matt, I wanted to find the love of my life. I still wanted to find that one guy that could make my heart pitter patter and could make me feel like I was loved. Okay. Okay. That's the truth. And so I dated a couple different men off and on that were musicians. And there was one guy that was not a musician that took advantage of me. And he actually raped me because my, one of my girlfriends and I, we were hanging around with the wrong people. I'm just being honest before I met the traffickers, but this man got me pregnant and the way he got me pregnant was raping me. I found out I was pregnant and it was very, very devastating. I didn't want to have my baby. I didn't think it was a baby because plant parenthood told me it wasn't. They told me it was a cell, a clump of cells. And I believe them. And I think I wanted to believe that. So I got an abortion. It was completely justified to me because the guy raped me. I wasn't ready to be a mom. No way. I, I needed to find myself. I needed to find who I was and I needed to make my mark on the world. And I was not ready to be a mama bear. So I made that choice to do that. And I think that a lot of women out there that are watching right now and listening, they can understand why that would be something someone would do, especially if it's a rape. Because every time you look at that child, you think, oh yeah, the dad raped me. So that's sad, right? Yeah. 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 You know, I was, it. I don't want to cry, but that was a really, really, really hard time in my life. I, I was still I was still innocent like how I, old were you? I was 18 so it was really hard on me really really hard but um, I ended up uh, wow I'm thinking back and I'm getting flashes in my memory the, my memory is really, really, it's really choppy uh, during these emotional times because I remember how I was thinking and how lonely I felt at the time because I was still, you know, subliminally angry at my father from all the things he had done to my mother. And even though I knew that hitting her and yelling at her was completely wrong, you know, it's weird. I think we search for relationships that are very similar in nature, like the, the same personality type, the same charisma as our parents. Sometimes my dad had a really good personality, even though he was mean. My dad was. Yeah, he was a charismatic, funny person when he was being a good guy. He was the best like so fun to be around when he was in a good mood a lot of people in my mom and dad's life loved him you know when they didn't see the bad side of him but right. uh, I ended up 
you know, like I said, going to that nightclub that night and my girlfriend and I were sitting at the bar and these two men walked in and they had furs on. They had furs, furs on. Yeah. <laughs> and my girlfriend and I, we uh, were like, oh, look at these guys. And I was thinking to myself, man, they got money. These guys got money. There's no way they don't have money. What is up with this? Right. And uh, my girlfriend starts talking to one of the men and then gets his number. And then the other guy kind of was like, no, I'm not giving you my number. Now, I did try on his fur coat, though. I did put on his sunglasses and took a picture. Yep, I sure did. Because I wanted to show that I had a fur on. I was bragging. And remember, back then they were throwing paint on furs. <laughs> I think in the early 90s anyway. This was still the 80s. So having a fur was still kind of like a neat thing to do. It was like an in thing to have a mink or a fox fur or a chinchilla. It was the hip thing to do. My girlfriend called me. I was sitting at my desk at IDS Financial. And she called me up and said, hey, I am on the beach in Hawaii. And you need to come out here. Because I am making all kinds of money. And see, my friend, she didn't have a father that she knew growing up. So her and I were a lot alike in a, in a similar respective. We had no respect for our fathers. Because even though I had a father, he was very absent from me emotionally, mentally, and even physically. Like we never had talks. We never really had a heart to heart. We never really hung out. Um, I was his daughter and the only relationship he really had was dad. Can I go to the football game? And he would say no, or he'd say yes. He would sit there and make me think and wait for a while before he told me yes. I would just shake and I'd be scared of his answer because sometimes he'd say no. And then I would start bawling my eyes out. So I really had this whole power control thing with my father and I was always afraid to ask him to do stuff. And so I think that when I got out of the house, I just, I just went buck wild, like buck wild. Now I went to church growing up. I was a Lutheran and I confessed Jesus in my heart when I was about four or five years old. I remember getting the glow and dark cross from being a Lutheran. They had this cross they would give you. <laughs> and then I actually got confirmed when I was, I think I was 13, 13 or 14 years old. I got confirmed in the Lutheran faith. And that goes along with like memorizing scripture and all the books of the Bible. And I don't remember half of what I learned. I don't remember anything actually. All I know was, is that church people are supposed to be nice. But I didn't see that in my church. I didn't feel it, didn't see it, thought everybody was rude. Didn't particularly like anybody in my class. I just, I wasn't feeling it at all. I felt like church people were fake and that love to them. They don't even know what love is. They're not real. And to me, that made God not relevant. It made Jesus far away. And I didn't get this whole thing about religion and I didn't understand. They weren't teaching how to have a relationship with God at all. It was just like, thus says the Lord, repeat after this scripture. 
we're going to hymn number 110. Then everybody stands up and sings the hymn and everybody sits down and you recite what they're saying. That's how it is in Lutheranism anyway, the Lutheranism that I grew up in. So I was totally turned off by how religion was presented in front of me. Right. So did you, what happened with your friend? She invited you to Hawaii? Yeah, and I went. It was a $500 ticket, but she said that they would pay for it up front and I could pay her back later. And I was like, okay. So I went and was totally like tripping out because I had never seen the ocean before. Not in person. That was my first time seeing the ocean. What a treat to see the ocean. From Hawaii. Yeah. Waikiki Beach. Are you kidding me? Hello. So I'm a teenager and I'm looking. No, I, went, I, I later did, but I went to the Oahu, which is a smaller island. Okay. Yeah. Kona's the big island. Kona's the one with the huge volcanoes and stuff. And there's other ones too, but Kona is the big, big island. But Oahu is a little smaller and it's where the capital is, unfortunately, Honolulu. And yeah, that whole vibe. Da, 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 Hawaii Five-O, remember that show? Yeah, I remember. Oh my gosh, book him, Dano. Yeah. Book him, Dano. Book him, Dano. <laughs> I love that show growing up. <laughs> so people don't even know what we're talking about. They're like, what? Some of them do. <laughs> so, yeah, well. Some of my, my demographics like between 25 and 55. Okay. So well, I'm 50. I'm the top of your graphic. Do you know how old I am? 55. I am. You just said top of your graphic. So How old are you? I'm 54. Okay. When's your birthday? July 2nd. Oh, you just had a birthday. Wow. You'll be 55 yeah. next year. Okay, cool. Anyway, so I got to Hawaii and I'm telling you that place was so intoxicating. I love the smell of it. I loved the heat. I loved the beach. I loved all the little like souvenir shops, the lays with the beautiful flowers. I love the fact that nobody could tell me what to do. And I was there and I was with my friend and she was my best friend. And we were just like running free, running wild, you know? And the first night that I got there. I got a fake ID. I chose my name. So How my name was. How old were you? I'm trying to think. You had to be under 21 if you needed a fake I was. ID. Yeah, I was under 21. I was either 18 or 19. Anyway, I was a teenager still. Okay. That's what I remember. Um, and I had to, I got a fake ID. It said my name was Fallon York because if you get arrested for prostitution in Hawaii, you don't use your real name. That's what the people she was with, they told us not to use our real name. Now, I didn't know the whole reason behind that, but now that I look back, I totally get and understand what, why they did that. It's because the pimps don't want you to have a record with your real name so you because you're breaking the law for them and you're making money. Well, I didn't have a pimp her boyfriend became her pimp. And I was in my mind, I was like, F a pimp. I wish a pimp would like, I didn't believe in pimps. I was like, these, those pimps are nasty. I would never give my money to a pimp. I would never, this is my money. 
I earn this money. Okay. The first trick I ever turned, Matt, I didn't have to have sex. It was so easy. I took my clothes off and the guy sat there and he couldn't control himself. So got dressed, walked out, took the money. Did you and know I was, going to Hawaii, this is what she was doing? Not 100%. Because she told me, you know, you don't have to have sex. So I was like, oh, okay. So we're going to run. We're going to get the money and run, basically. That's what I thought. And I thought, oh, this is kind of dangerous. She goes, well, no. I mean, you're going to dance and stuff. And I was like, oh, okay. But yeah, for more money, you get offered to do more things. So 500 bucks, take clothes off. 200 extra, 300 extra, 500 extra, different things can happen. $1,000 extra, more things can happen. And every price was a different price point because it's per customer and what they're wearing and how they're acting. And back then there was only Japanese clients. That's all we would do. And we call them buyers now, but I would not date white guys. I wouldn't date Hispanic, um, Middle Eastern or, or, uh, black guys. It was always Asian pick the Asian. Cause they have the most money. They're quick, get in and out of there and make a lot of money quickly. I know that sounds really evil, but, um, well, in the eighties, Japan, Oh, they were slamming it. They, they were making great money off the United States. I'm telling you, they were killing it. And so that showed up in our pocketbooks. And I went back to Minnesota after two weeks, didn't have a pimp and started working the escort services right away, signed up for the escort service. And my first pimps was Bruce and Maggie. I didn't know they were pimps at the time, but I I figured out that they were married and they were running an escort service. And so I would negotiate the tip over the phone. They would get $40 service fee. And then I would tip the phone girl, depending on what I made on the call extra or not, I would tip them. So I didn't like it because I almost got killed twice. I had a guy pull out a shotgun on me and then I had another guy pull out a machete. And I'm like, this is not what I signed up for. I quit. So I quit. And I started working stripping agency. I decided that I was going to be a stripper, exotic dancer and work bachelor parties. Then I got the notion because it to me, it wasn't making enough money. Like I needed to make more money. Um, but I was turning tricks a little bit. I was like giving guys, I don't mean to be graphic. Your people can handle this, right? I was giving guys BJs and hand jobs and doing extra stuff. But like I said, the money, Minnesota money is not that great. And the bachelor parties were always on the weekends. So you always had to like save your money and I'd be counting my money because I had my own place at this point and I had a car payment. I was like, man, I got to make more money. So I decided to work for playtime. Uh, What is that? And uh, it was an agency that booked clubs across Minnesota and Wisconsin. Yep. And my boss's name was Syl. And so she would book me. Virgil was her boss. So Virgil and so would book us at all these clubs across Minnesota and Wisconsin. And we would go and we would work at these clubs and strip and um, make our tips. And I decided that I wasn't going to ever turn another trick because I started reading my Bible. This is the crazy part of the story. 
I met up with this guy that was working with Prince and he was reading the Bible to me and he goes, what's the pager for? And I said, none of your business. Get out of my freaking business, bro. He's like, well, I think you're a drug dealer. I'm like, really, dude? Really? No. Take another guess. I deal something else and it's not drugs. All right. So what ended up happening is I ended up being at the nightclub working at, and now it's called Spearmint Rhino, but it was called Skyway Lounge back then. And in walks this gorgeous guy. And in the meantime, by the way, Matt, I'm in and out of different relationships with different men that were musicians that would break my heart. Like there was a man in a band called Maserati. I met the lead singer and then he introduced me to one of his bandmates. There were two actually, and uh, had a relationship with the first one. He totally broke my heart. And then I met the other guy that was in Maserati and he's the one that actually became Prince's director of music later. And he was such a nice guy, a Baptist boy, super sweet. And in fact, knew about my, my uh, trafficker and said, that's not a good guy, Annie. You need to get away. And back then my name was Fallon. So uh, he walks in to the club, my pimp, my ex pimp. And I, fell for him head over heels. Like I was like, wow, he did not tell me he was a trafficker. He led on to me. He was a drug dealer and I didn't like it. I was like, you need to get out of drug dealing. This is not good. I told him to dream about having my little own little, you know, jewelry store one day. Mm -hmm. And he thought it was great. He was like, you're so smart. You're so intelligent. Wow. And I said, you know what? I'm going to tell you a secret. You know, all these men here, they're really stupid guess what? They're all tricks and I'm getting money from them on the side. So I told him I was like turning tricks on the side. In other words, I was getting paid to do extra things after the show was done. Like I would hook up with certain guys that had more money. Like if we had 500 bucks, I was willing to go to a, you know, to a hotel somewhere, turn a trick real quick because tip money on the stage is not as good as real, you know, backstage stuff. So he thought that was great. Pretty soon the relationship, I mean, I'm telling you, he moved in with me within like weeks. Like he was living with me and I'm like, oh my gosh, what is going on here? And money went missing and I, di I didn't connect the two. I would hide it in my house and then all of a sudden it would disappear somewhere. It's like back then, now my ex pimp, he admitted to me later in the relationship that he, he was the one taking my money. But what ended up happening is my girlfriend, she lived in Las Vegas, the one that went to Hawaii. So her pimp had houses all over the United States. Um, he had houses in Chicago, Baltimore, well, his friends too, uh, Vegas, Minnesota, uh, Hawaii. And so she went to Vegas and she told me, girl, the money in Vegas is off the hook, off the chain. Girl, you got to come here. You, this place is popping. And I had already been to Vegas one time because when I got back the first time from Hawaii, I did a, a trip to Los Angeles to see my ex-boyfriend. That's a whole nother story. He was in the Air Force 
and actually motivated me to go to Hawaii because I thought if I could see him again, because I was so in love with him, we were with with each other and I lived with him for a while and I was still square at the time. And my heart was completely broken in half. I wanted to see him again. So that's what really motivated me to go to Hawaii because I wanted to see him again. I was like, I have to see him again. I'm in love with him. And love motivated me to do a lot of things that I never would have necessarily done had I not been so naive and so in love. Like my heart was literally in the forefront of every decision that I made. Emotional decisions on every turn. I never really used my head except for when it came to the money. I need to make my quick money. So this is where people get this traffic of being so twisted. They're like, that's it. I got her. She admitted turning a trick without a pimp. She chose this life. It's her fault. She's not a victim. She's never been a victim. She was just a promiscuous slut that got paid. That's what people say about me. And that's so wrong, Matt. It's so wrong. Because guess what? When I brought my boyfriend from Minnesota down to Las Vegas, the first night that I worked, he beat the living crap out of me. Yeah. Shocked me. Choked me. Why did he do that? He had to put himself in a position of power. It's called breaking your hoe. It's what you do when you're a gorilla pimp to get control of your bitch, your hoe, your whore, your snow bunny, because that's what I was called, snow bunny money, okay? Got it. So he beat me that night, put me in the back room, locked me up, took my beeper, took my identification. I had no way to leave. My girlfriend was screaming in the back. She was like, I'm calling the cops. Her pimp locked her up, wouldn't let her leave the room. And then the next day, my pimp took me to a nasty motel and hid me there for almost three weeks while I was healing from all my bruises on my face and my neck and my body. Because he literally beat my face. Oh, my gosh. I looked like I was in a, a fight with Mike Tyson or Muhammad Ali. My face was so messed up. Like we're talking, I could not see straight. Both my eyes were shut and I'm for sure had concussion for sure. Wouldn't let me go to the hospital. Um, My face was so puffy. My nose disappeared. See how my nose is right now. It disappeared into my face. I was so laden with bruises and, you know, damaged uh, blood vessels in my And by the way, both my eyes had red where the white is completely broken blood vessels in my eyes. So when you open, when you looked at me, it looked like I, yeah, it didn't look good. (laughs) Um, that was a really hard time in my life. I think back to that young girl and I just, I wish I would have left that night that I wish I would have just ran down the street or something, but Matt, I had nowhere to go. He had all my pictures. He had every piece of history that I had with me. Like he had all the pictures of my family. He had all my clothes. He had everything I had ever owned in his possession. 
He had the keys to my apartment in Minnesota. We sold the apartment in Minnesota. It was under my name. He had the keys to my car. Just everything. How do you leave when you know the person's violent? Oh, when he's pistol whipping you too, by the way, putting guns in your mouth, saying, I wish, I wish a bitch would. I wish a punk bitch would, punk faggot white bitch. I wish you would. That's what he used to say to me. So yeah, he became my pimp. And by the way, I loved him. I loved him. I was thinking that my love could change him. Then I realized, wow, I'm in the same type of relationship as my mom was. My daddy was labor trafficking my mom. I look back now and I see he was in total control of her paycheck. He would buy things against her will. He would totally take control of everything. Um, hit her, beat her. And here I was, except I was being sex trafficked. The rule is you give the pimp 100% of the money. You have to give the escort service their fee, which they're a pimp too. Then you give the phone girl her tip. She's kind of a sort of a pimp as well, even if she doesn't realize it. Some of the phone girls don't realize that they were actually trafficking women without understanding that they have boyfriends that were controlling them and beating them and coercing them and forcing them and lying to them, manipulating them, brainwashing them. Trafficking's very, very, um, it's very... <coughs> Gosh, there's so many words I can say about it. Um, it's manipulation. It's isolation. It's emotional abuse. It's physical abuse. It's sexual abuse. It's rape. It's um, top and bottom, like gender control. It's, it's coercion. It's force. It's threatening. It's isolation. It's all these things that they use against you to keep you in a subservient position where you cannot leave. And if you do, you will most certainly die or someone you know close to you will die. Your animal might get murdered as well. Or if you leave, you lose everything you ever, ever had in your life. Like all your possessions gone. And when you are a material girl like I was, because I learned at a young age watching my father that you are what you own, okay? That I need to have things to be happy, right? I need to have a car. A car is freedom. A driver's license is freedom. A bank account is freedom, right? A lot of different pretty outfits is freedom for a woman anyway. Getting her nails done, getting her hair done. If she doesn't have that, she's not free. So... For me to leave, I would have to lose my ID, lose my cell phone, which by then, cell phones were as big as this thing right here. Right. Is this the, what, the late 80s by this yes. point? Early 90s? Well, 80, 87, 88. And by the time I left him, it was 1992, 91, 92. And you, uh, you did this for five years with this guy? Yes. F uh, in fact, the first the first time I left, the the phones had just came out. The StarTac phone that was around about a couple years before I left. Actually, remember the StarTac flip phones? You could fold it in half. The the, the volume part. 
-hmm. and it would the phone was still about that big that thick you could open it up and go hello yeah hold on you know and hang it up and you could program numbers in there maybe only five or ten uh, it was very very the minimalist would call it a minimalist cell phone but yeah and they would live off cell towers and they would get really hot. The batteries would get super heated and the batteries were about this thick and you'd have to change them and crazy. And so to leave without a phone, without your page or without your identification, without your car. Yeah. And you can't keep your car because it's in his name. Even though he put half of the things in my name, I could have still fought for it, but I never did. So I was too afraid to do that. You, you leave with all, without all your pictures, uh, Anything, I had artwork that I had created, very beautiful artwork. I drew several different things that I tre I treasured that uh, I lost. Ultimately, in the end, I lost everything. Um, and then think about all the money that I made. You know, oh my gosh, I, I, I just don't know, like millions of dollars, three, four, five million dollars, more, more than that, gone. And my body being ravaged by tricks, buyers that raped me, men that would choke me as they're having sex with me, abuse, slapping. I mean, men would pay to slap me and hit me and have sex with me while they're doing that. Does that sound insane to you? Sounds like pretty insane. Yeah, well, I later, on the second half of my lifestyle of being a call girl, I was a dominance mistress because I needed to take my power back. So I decided to not take any more abuse calls, and I decided to become a dominance mistress. And are you still and have with a boyfriend at this point, or you've already you've already left the the pimp? I left I left my pimp, but then I got with another pimp. That was just as abusive, but he wasn't a pimp in the beginning. I told him he needed to act like my pimp because all the pimps were hunting me down and looking for me. And they had spotters everywhere and handlers everywhere. And they were looking for me in the, in the town. And so I would try to hide and do day shift uh, and not work nights. And my pimp somehow still found me. I, he, he would stalk me. Uh, so that was a really hard situation to get away from. If it wasn't for one of my other best girlfriends, she was actually my wife-in-law. She actually saved my life. She uh, lied to him and said I was going to be back, but I left. And that's the first time I left. And then I ended up uh, getting with this other guy that worked for a casino. And he became my pimp. And he was a very, very sick individual. He would lock me in the house and not let me have the key to get out. And he would threaten me, I'm going to start a fire. And if you don't do what I say, we're going to both die in here. And he actually had me bar, buy the bars for the house, for the windows and the doors and stuff. It's crazy. Um, I was with him for almost five years. And... I finally got away because of my little brother and one of my phone girl friends, I called her up. I got a rental truck to get some of my furniture out that I had purchased, but it was already damaged because he took a knife 
and slice the leather. I had a pink leather Natuzi couches. It was pearlized leather. It was beautiful. Specialty ordered from Italy. He took a knife and sliced them all up. But I thought somehow I could get them like repaired and then never realizing I should have just bought another set of furniture, right? I didn't want to lose that. So um, my brother came that day and brought a shotgun and made it very clear to my ex-pimp that I was going to leave with him. So I did. Did you stay in And that was, I did. Then, long story short, I had a trick get me out of the business. And when I quit, officially I quit the escort services on May 18th, 1998. I got engaged to him on that date. And so I was engaged to him until how long had you been seeing the the 2003 2000 yeah 2003 2004 you'd been seeing the trick for about a year you know what i had known him since 92 okay so i kept in touch with him and i knew him for all those years he became my friend my confidant like i would complain to him about everything and tell him that i want to get away from this guy and you know, he wanted to help me. So I stashed money and got my own apartment. And my apartment was right next to his apartment that he had. And he had just gotten divorced from his wife and he ran a body shop. So I ended up moving into my apartment finally by myself. And I got away from that last abuser. Yeah. What? What did you, I mean, what were you doing then? Like, were you still, you know, working? That's a long, you know what I'm saying? Like, did you get a regular job? Okay. So, so I started working for his, his body shop and here's, what's crazy is we had accounts across the city and across the Valley accounts to fix cars, like dent repair, bumper fender, fender benders, and we had this company from Japan that came in and said, Hey, we're going to show you this quick dent repair method. It was 30 second cure for the clear coat, 30 second cure for the primer and 30 second cure for the Bondo. And it was amazing. It was Japanese technology. So they said, Hey, we want you to open up our flagship store. So we did, we opened up this place called Carsmetics and they gave us a million dollars and we opened up the store and I was the, operations manager of my job. I had 11 employees at the time. I learned a lot from that, by the way. I learned a lot from working at Carsmetics. And uh, it was good the first couple of years. I got into a home. It was lease option to buy my first home ever to finally own for myself and my partner at the time. And uh What sucks is I quit doing cocaine because I started doing cocaine in 1997. Then I quit in 1999. And in 2002, picked up the habit again. And for eight months, I went on a just total rampage. But by the way, in between that, I was getting all these dealer accounts for our business. Our business failed, but I was like, 
turning tricks to get them. I was making deals with some of the managers and doing unethical sexual things to make it happen. So technically, I was still using my looks and my sexuality to get what I needed to make myself successful with my partner. And he didn't know that part, by the way. So if you watch this video, I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but yep, I sure was doing that. But I was angry at him because I found out that he was calling the escort services again and it busted my heart in half. I just thought that I was enough. He didn't have to do that. Like why? That broke my heart. And I think that's what led into my doing cocaine again and just trying to escape my feelings. I had severe complex trauma and I had no idea how to get rid of these achy, scared little girl triggering feelings that I was manifesting left and right. And cocaine solved all my problems. You know, it just did made me feel normal. I did a line of Coke. I felt normal all of a sudden, like I was still a virgin. I was still happy. And I was a young kid again, you know, because it raises your dopamine levels. Obviously it's cocaine. Right. Right. And so I, uh, wow, I couldn't get up without it. I started to do so much Coke that I started smoking it at the end. And on August 2nd, 2003 is when I overdosed. And I, at the time I had to overdose twice in one week. I tried to kill myself before though in my car, but it was years earlier when my sister died, when I was uh, going through chemotherapy and, and radiation. And so the cocaine overdose was smoking it the first time and then passing out. And I remember calling my father going, dad, uh, I was so honest with them. I remember calling my mother and my father and I told my daddy that I smoked cocaine and he just was like, what? And I said, yeah, dad. He goes, Annie, he goes, you can't do that. Then he told me a story about having cocaine on the table. I'm like, was blown away by that in the seventies. He told me a story about having it at a party. And he said he didn't want to do it because it scared him. Anyway, I, uh, four days after that is when I actually overdosed and had the ambulance come and get me and had a heart attack. You had a heart. How Almost old dead. were you? Oh gosh, it was 2003. So it was August. You know what? I think. Let's look at the calculator. I can't remember. <laughs> I think I was in my 30s. 30. I was 35. I was 35. Oh, 35. Yep. 35 years old. Mm -hmm. In 2003? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah I'm 55 now. 68. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. 67. So 67. August oh, okay. 2nd. 2003 is when I overdosed. Okay. And I have never gone back to the drugs since. Gone, done, finito. That was the last time. And basically um, have led a sober lifestyle and then decided, because I was reading my Bible, 
and watching Christian television late at night because I was up at night usually doing my drugs, right? For eight months straight. And I saw Joyce Meyer come on the television. I was like, who is this chick, man? She is off the chain wild. Like with that Southern accent, you know, talking like this. Don't you know God loves you? And I'm like, this chick right now, really? And I actually had the audacity to believe that God loved me. Sure did. And I started having dreams about Jesus. And the dream I had of him was he told me I was loved, I was beautiful, that he chose me and that he forgave me and that he wanted me to tell the girls that I knew and other girls that were stuck in the sex industry that they're loved and that they're beautiful just like me and that they don't have to do this anymore. They don't have to be stuck in slavery. So it was basically the love message. And that's what started the agency that I run now. Yeah, I started going out to the strip, reaching out to the women, giving them my card, asking them if they need help to get away from their traffickers, their pimps. And then I would bring them to my own personal house, which is our original destiny house. Well, I didn't call it that back then, but um, I started bringing girls to my own home because I had nowhere to take them. Then I opened up the first house and that was quite a crazy time too, because I was single still, I wasn't married yet. And I lived there for almost a year. And then I got married to my husband, Oz Fox from Striper, my rock star husband. Uh, we were engaged while I lived there. The girls at the house loved it. Back then we took children too, because we had mothers and babies at that house. So we had a house full of people. Uh, that was a really good time in my life. But I do remember getting married and then coming back from my honeymoon because I took a three-week honeymoon and I cried my eyes out because, first of all, I loved being married. I loved it. But my husband had to go on a three-month tour with his band. So I wasn't going to see him for three months. That was hard. That was, whoo, man, that was a test right there. And I uh, ended up finding other people to work at the house so that I didn't have to be there all the time. And who's funding, who's funding this? Oh yeah. I had my nonprofit. I, I filed for it in 2007, but I, I was already doing the nonprofit work since 2004, 2005. So nobody, I mean, I was like the church I was with at the time was giving us food, uh, food vouchers and gas vouchers for the car. And then they paid for the rent for the house. Cause it was one of their intern homes. So that's how we were funding the house. It was crazy back then. And then now I have our own house that our nonprofit owns actually. And it's on a much larger property. And there are several houses on the property. And we actually have another house off property, which is called Dream House. So we have Destiny House now. And then we have Dream House. So we have a total of 18 beds right now. And so, so what do you do? You just, you go out to the strip, you, and you just talk to girls and say, look, there's another way you can get out of this situation. Yes. I mean, that's the thing is you offer them help, but you don't force them out. If they don't want to get out of that lifestyle, you can't like convince them to, but what you can do is 
talk about the life that you have now. And do you want to get free? Do you want to be able to choose your own career, have your own car, have your own house, buy your own clothes, have your own bank account? You know, here's the thing is that being out of that lifestyle gives you so many choices. You don't have to be stuck selling your body for the rest of your life. Because listen, you're going to get old. You're going to age out of the system. You're not going to look cute like you do right now. Like your body is not going to be flawless like it is now. Like when I left the industry, even though I was 35, I'm telling you, I look good still. Some people try to accuse me of getting out of the industry because I looked old. Well, take 20 years off this body right now and imagine my face and my body. I look good. Okay. I'm 55. I've had no plastic surgery except for obviously my chest and just saying, dude, I hate it when people accuse me that, Oh, you got out. Cause you were, you were all used up and you looked ugly. Who are these people no, that actually, are accusing you of stuff? You'll be surprised. You'll have, you'll have them in your comments. Trust me. They'll be in these comments on this feed. You'll see them. And those are the haters. Hey, they're going to hate. Hey, they're going to hate Romans eight. They're so, going to be here commenting. You'll see them and you'll know who they are because usually to me, those people are actually buying the girls. They are saying, let's legalize prostitution. There's no trafficking. Those girls love what they do. They love sex. Really dude. Do you know how many orgasms I've faked in my life? Do you really think that I wasn't acting on all those tricks I turned? Are you that dumb? Like, dude, we're the best actresses in the world. We should all have Oscars, all of us. So do girls ever get, you know, do, you ever, do they ever come to the house and stay for three weeks and then go back to the street? Sometimes that happens. happens. There is a stat that happens that with women that are in the game and that have been in the sex industry, they go back five to seven times before they actually quit. And that's a really up and down stat. It's pretty average for me. I left the game several times and quit and then came back, quit, came back, quit, came back. So I totally get that. Like sometimes you're just not ready or all the way done. You know, like, right. obviously I'm a really good example right now. I have been out completely for years upon years now and yeah, I'm not going back. There's no reason to. And by the way, I could, I could, cause I still look good. Okay. Just saying. <laughs> um, so but, I mean, we're just, I'm making jokes right now, Matt. I'm just, you know, I just, these haters are just, I just need to just flip them off. I just don't need to be having negativity in my life. And, um, that's one thing that I think that I lacked as a young girl was the confidence in myself to stand on my own two feet and to really love myself and believe in myself and understand that I am intelligent and God designed me a certain way. I'm colorful. I'm creative. I'm fun. I'm an artist. I'm a visionary. I'm a leader. I'm a type a I'm a choleric. That's my high score on the, on the, and my second is the yellow color, which is the sanguine. Uh, that's me. That's how I was built. And I love me. 
I love being who I am. I'm not perfect. Never said I was, but I do enjoy being who I am in the position that I am in. I wouldn't have it any other way. I enjoy doing interviews like this. I enjoy talking about myself and about what's happened to me because I love to educate people on trafficking and how it can happen. Um, okay. So go so, ahead and ask the question. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking how to formulate the question is that right now, this is, you know, this is what you're doing. Like what, what led to your, you have a TV show right now that's on, um, a Christian channel, correct? Is that right? Yes. I have a podcast as well. Okay. I'm on, uh, I think Spotify, Apple, come and check it out. It's called Annie's pink chair. Um, yeah. So I have that because I was offered that by a friend of mine. They saw me speak at an event in 2019 and they said, Hey, I think you would be great if you were a talk show host. You're so good on camera, Annie, and you're so good with your words. And I was like, what? And I, I prayed about it. Talked to my husband. We met with the couple and that's the result of the chair that I'm sitting in right now. I said, yes. And then got on this television network locally in Las Vegas only. And then all of a sudden Tennessee opened up their doors to us to be aired in Tennessee and then Florida. So we were on the super channel for a while. You know, what the super channel is no, but yeah, I, I, I can't remember what station it is, but there's a, I think there's a couple and it's in the Orlando area. But then I was, there was a door open to do national on CTN, which is dish direct TV, both of those. And then glory star, which I don't, I don't know what glory star is. And then of course, live online during, you know, a, a live streaming event. So every Sunday at eight o'clock, 8 p.m., whether that's Pacific, Eastern, Mountain, or Central. So people can watch us. And it's, it's called Annie's Pink Chair. Okay. Pretty cool. Pretty cool for an ex-call girl, huh? How, how long have you been doing this? Uh, the show? Yes. Oh, uh, three years now. Yeah, three years. Okay. And right. I actually would really, really enjoy uh, continuing it and keeping the podcast going. I like to interview people. I'm very interested in other people's stories. And I enjoy just talking, just having conversations with people, getting I to know that. what people are. And they're, and you know that, right? So the journey, the journey of someone coming from their childhood to where they are now and what that looks like and how did they get to where they're at and I have so many people that want me to train them how to spot traffickers, how train them how to look for people that are trafficked, train, you know, HSI and the police. And I'm on the, our task force here in Las Vegas. Also, I'm, I'm on the advisory board as chair for the survivor part of it. And then, I mean, we train law enforcement, casinos, churches, just regular people, schools, colleges, about trafficking and educate them on what it looks like in the United States, right? The kind of particular trafficking that I was in, there is 25 official types of trafficking. My trafficking was sex and labor trafficking. So those are my two expertise right now. And then just, uh, 
having what I do as an opportunity, as a leader, being the, a survivor champion leader that can show other people that are in the sex industry, look, this is not your only job. You can be a judge one day. You could be a police officer. You could be a lawyer if you want to. You can have your own art studio. You can be a musician if you want. You can be a talk show host. You can uh, run an internet company. I don't know. Pick it. Whatever you want. Whatever flavor it looks like. Do it. Just do it. But were you? I, I, how often do you do the podcast? Oh, it it drops usually every week, every Friday. Okay. So it's tied into my TV show usually. So we try to keep it very uh, successive, like every single week. And sometimes I take breaks for a couple of weeks. And the longest break I think we took was like a month, two months maybe. So I think it's when I was not feeling well and I was in and out of the hospital. So we took a break. But um, yeah, I try to keep that going because people love that type of thing. They drive to work, put the headphones in, or they're working out. They put the conversation on their phone it just it's just enlightening and it's also i try to get people on that have really cool stories that have overcome something that was pretty major that they shouldn't have overcome that usually the stats say they cannot make it so i was going to tell you about destiny house destiny house is a place where someone can come get out of the sex industry uh, they can get the trauma therapy they never had all the counseling they need get stabilized. Cause emotionally you're a whole wreck when you get out of the agency. When I first got out, I had PTSD off the chain. Okay. I was having like nervous anxiety attacks and Matt, I didn't know where they were coming from. I was ending up in the hospital. The doctors put me on Xanax. So I was on Xanax for like at least a half a year. Finally, I threw the pills down the, down the, toilet because they were making me a zombie. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to deal with this, whatever this is. And I didn't know that I was having anxiety attacks. I didn't know I was having post-traumatic stress disorder. I had no idea it was a symptom of me getting out of that lifestyle. Right. I didn't know I needed stabilization. I didn't know. Isn't that crazy? Like I just, it didn't dawn on me that my body was like reacting and just like, getting triggered. And there was times I would pull my car over and I couldn't drive. I call my friend up. Can you come get me? Why? Um, I can't drive. Like my mind is thinking you're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die. I'm telling myself I'm going to die. And then I would just immediately just start praying. Jesus, please help me. Jesus, please help me. I don't know what's going on. I'm scared. And then I would drink a bunch of water. And then finally, boom, about half an hour later, I'd be out of that episode. But I literally thought I was going to die. I wore a heart monitor on me for at least three months at a time to find out what was wrong with my heart. And the doctors did tell me that my heart was spiking quite frequently during the anxiety attacks. So something was going on in my body, for sure. It's called trauma. <laughs> so the girls come and get their trauma therapy. And then once we know that they're ready for stable, you know, they're stabilized and they also have their own self studies. We're a Christian led program, so they can pick from a bunch of different studies and it's very individualized. And then if they want to go to church, they can, if they don't, they don't have to, they go to, you know, meetings for addiction, 
uh, meetings for just, you know, self-discovery and encouragement and spiritual gatherings as well. And then, you know, they get their own workout trainer. They learn how to cook their own meals and stuff. They have like dog therapy and then we have horse therapy, which is really fun. Um, really helpful too. Like they they completely brag about that. Then we do art therapy. So they paint, they do uh, projects that they work on. They make things and do paper mache stuff. And, uh, and then the girls finally, they get to this point where they're going to pick their career out. So they look through a book an online website, there's about 500 things to pick from and there's grants with these careers they pick and they get to go to school. So they'll go to school from anywhere from two months to a year or two years, depends on what they choose in the learning track. And then we let them stay with us while they're doing the school. And then once they graduate, the, the people that we partner with help them get placed in jobs. And so we partner with a bunch of people in our community we work. See, it takes a village. It doesn't take just one person. You need a bunch of people working together. We help them, you know, get their records straightened out because their records are trashed after they get arrested so many times. I personally was arrested 25 times for what I used to do. Yeah. Whoa. My record is sealed, so you can't look it up. Sorry. But these, but are, yes. these are misdemeanors, right? Yeah. Mine are all misdemeanors. Correct. Um, Solicitation and loitering, that's where my main charges and one domestic violence charge because my ex-pimp, I actually tried to take my power back. He stole some money from me and uh, choked me out, locked me in the bathroom, and then I went ballistic, took a broom and started hitting him with it. Unfortunately, the people in the neighborhood saw me doing it and they called the cops on me. I went to jail. Even yeah. though he put his hands on me first. But I didn't stitch on my pimp back then, so I didn't tell the cops that he was beating me first. So whatever. It's over and done with. So I ended up, uh, you know, making sure that everything in our program is what I needed and more. Things that I never got myself that I really needed. Trauma counseling. Someone to guide me. Someone to help me. Someone to mold me and show me, hey, here's a better option. Choose this one. This looks a lot better for you. Like, and then when they get done with their school, of course they get their job and then they save up for their car and they save up for their new place they're going to stay in. And after they're done with the dream house, cause they move into the dream house when they have their job and when they're in their school, usually that's the track that they're in, in the program. And then they'll end up finding their permanent housing after that, which we are so excited about because this means so much success when they get to that point. After they've been with us for a little while, you know, a year, two years, three years, four years, they could stay with us for free, for free, 100%. We don't make them pay for anything. You know, they have their own little EBT card, but that's it. Everything else is provided for them. So, you know, we, we hope that they would be self-sufficient by the time they leave our dream house and into their own self, you know, independent living, which we help find for them. So we have an employee just dedicated for that task itself finding them permanent housing, permanent cheap housing. <laughs> so. All right. Sounds good. What yeah. do you, is there anything you think feel like we haven't covered? Well, I would say to really, really 
investigate who you give to because we are a nonprofit. We're a 501c3. Everything you give to us is tax write-off. We are audited every year. We have audited books. You can call us up and ask us to mail it to. We will mail it to you if you want to see where our money goes. Also, our 990s are public. That's the report for a 501c3. And we are survivor-led. And this is the sad thing, Matt. People, they do not support survivor-led initiatives. As sad as that sounds, I have seen it with my own eyes. I see these agencies that are not survivor-led get millions of dollars. And then we're just sitting here going, huh, it's costing us between 26, it's like $2,700 to $3,200 a day to run our program. Okay. That's what it costs us to run that with 25 employees. Security guards are included in that, by the way, they're packing too. Don't step on our properties. If you're not invited and you're trespassing, not a good idea. Okay. We have, we're, we're packing. Okay. So, and there's cameras everywhere too. So everyone gets filmed, but, um, we want to raise funds for our staff to take care of our clients. And we can't do that when people don't donate. So I, I have to make choices. Like, do I shut the program down because we don't have enough to pay the house managers that are taking care of the girls? We don't have enough to pay someone that's driving them somewhere that's important, like school. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. I don't want to say any names, but there's nonprofits out there getting millions and there's no aftercare. We're the aftercare. If they don't have us, how do they get better? Is there, do you got, do you have like a link or a um, yes. me page or? Yeah, you can go to hookersforjesus.net or pinkchair.org. Click on the donate link. Tax write-off. And you can also wire us money. We can give you that information. I'm probably going to put that on the website, our bank account information. You can also send us a money order. You can write us a check. You can make it out to Pink Chair if you want. You can make it out to Destiny House. I have DBAs and all those names. Okay, you don't have to make it say Hookers for Jesus. You can write it out, like I said, Destiny House or Pink Chair. We can still cash that check because, like I said, it all goes to the same nonprofit, Hookers for Jesus. Well, I can put that in the description box too. Yeah, I'll give you those links if you don't mind. I'll send those to you. And that way your audience, the people that aren't hating on me right now, saying that I'm not a victim and that I love this lifestyle and I loved having sex with all these men and I love the money. And look, who doesn't love money? Who doesn't need money to survive? Duh. Hello. You're doing this channel because why? This is what you do for a living, Matt, right? It is. Help a guy out. Believe it or not. Help a guy out, you guys. Help Matt out. I'm going to be an advocate for you, Matt, okay? Help Matt out, okay? This guy is making a living off his YouTube channel. This is what he does. And I'm jealous of you, Matt, because I would like to do that. So you need to teach me, okay? We'll, we'll definitely, we'll talk. <laughs> My so channel is very small right now, but I'm growing it. It's little, but hopefully some people will subscribe to it today. Um, I'm going to start uploading some stuff up there pretty soon in the next couple months. And it's right now it's on, it's called hooker for Jesus. I do have an Annie LeBaire one too, which I'm going to be probably working on, you know, fixing that one as well. But right now we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, 
that everyone hates Twitter now. X called the X now. Uh, we're on uh, Instagram as well. And my name too. My name, Annie Lobert. If you wrote a check to Annie Lobert, it would be cashed into the agency because my name is a DBA. It's Annie Lobert Ministries. So yeah, we have a lot of choices. Annie Lobert on the pink chair. <laughs> you know, my friend Sam Sorbo just pointed that out to me today. I don't know if you know who that is. No. But she is married to Kevin Sorbo. Hercules. Yeah. Hercules? So she was like, Annie, just be Annie Lobert. Why not do that? That's so simple. I was like, you're right, Sam. <laughs> she kind of talked me into it. Yeah, that's funny because I used to watch Hercules when I was being trafficked. And I was wishing so bad that there would be a guy out there that could rescue me like that. Like that could guide me and guard me and get rid of the bad guys. And at the time I couldn't find anybody. So I'm so glad now that I'm married. And my husband is just the most amazing person you'd ever want to meet. He's kind, he's funny, makes you laugh. He can play the guitar like nobody's business. Uh, they just got nominated for a Dove Award, Striper did. The band that he's in, okay. hey, not too bad. They were also nominated for a Grammy when they were on MTV. So they're not dumb guys. They know what they're doing. They have been in their band for 40 years, Matt. 40 Whoa. years. Striper. We'll put that in the description too and put a link to that as well. But yeah, it's cool because it's, it's heavy metal, but it's rocking for Jesus. They're singing about God. So pretty cool. Um, All right. I just am so proud of my husband. He's just such a great advocate for us. So, but yeah, does that sound awesome or what? That sounds great. Pinkchair.org, hookersforjesus.net. Come hang out with us, follow us. Uh, you'll get educated, trust me. There's always new things I'm talking about. And I've got a very wild perspective because I used to be a call girl. Oh, and by the way, I went with a lot of celebrities back in the day. They used to call her escort services. Very famous leading men. Yes. Naughty boys. Hollywood was part of my trafficking as well. So. Well, hey for Annie. <laughs> Annie, I appreciate it. Um, You're welcome. I appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk to me. And oh, don't forget. Last thing. We got this in English and Spanish. Oh, yeah. We in the house with Fallon. See? You see that? Spanish. And then we got the English version here. And then, of course, I am on downloadable on Amazon. My voice. This reads like a movie. You won't want to put it. You'll be like, girl, stop. Don't leave. That's my story that I just told you, but in a very detailed format. It's going to take you about six hours to get through this puppy. But it's worth every second. Trust me. You'll get educated. You'll get mad at me. You'll laugh. You'll cry with me. And at the end, you'll be very satisfied. You'll be like, dang, that girl, she's my friend now. I feel like I know her. So just come on over to my area of the town because I'll definitely give you a great entertainment. You will not be bored with me at all. Hey, I appreciate you guys checking out the interview. Uh, if you liked it, do me a favor and subscribe to the channel. Hit the bell so you get notified of videos just like this. Share the video. Leave me a comment, like the video, do all the things you're supposed to do. I really do appreciate it, and I'll see you. Hey, this is Matt Cox, and I'm going to be interviewing 
Balin Enriquez. Correct. Yes. Oh, yes. So uh, you were, what was your indictment for? Um, I was indicted for uh, transporting women for purposes of prostitution okay. and money laundering. There right. was more charges, but uh, those are the substantive ones. So. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I always say bank fraud when it's like, yeah, I'm not going to get to list them. Yes. Um, all right. So, and this was in what year? 2018. All right. So uh, basically you were, you were bringing in, you were like a, a high-end madam bringing in women as an S to be escorts. I mean, I know you, you, you can, you can correct me. It's fine. No, no. You know, um, over the course of, uh, what, back when was this? 2000? Um, so we started, um, 2000, end of 2015. Okay. Up until, um, more or less beginning of 2018. Right. Um, so for so, about three years. Yes. For about okay. three years. All right. Um, so, and you're from uh, Venezuela? No, you're from uh, Ecuador. I'm from Ecuador, yes. Okay, so you're from Ecuador. You came here when you were 21 years old. Yes. And, and that was for, that was after you'd been, you'd been going to school. Um, yeah. Yes, so I was in uh, med school in Ecuador, and then uh, I came here so that I could just, you know, because I didn't want to uh, study medicine anymore, so I came here and uh, decided to, like, uh, just take another path in life and you know i have a degree in uh, management and i have a master's in finance so master's right. degree in finance so so you came to the united states and what 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 did you what was initially what were you doing when you came here well i was going to school and i was also working three jobs um because obviously you know like uh, i didn't really come with a lot of things uh, right. so it was really hard and uh, i mean not as hard as like somebody without their green card, but you know, I had to make sure that I was able to, um, you know, support myself and get a car and everything else. So yeah, it was hard. What, what were some of those jobs? Um, I used to work, um, I work at a doctor's office, uh, and I work at uh, the mall and I work for like a store. So I had, you know, like my hours were crazy. I was okay. working a lot of hours. So. so when did you, and then you had, uh, were you married at that time or? No, I got married in, um, I came here in 2004, um, and I got married in 2012. All right. And so you got married and then it, how did, how did you eventually get into, um, you were saying, uh, companions, right? The, the, com you were a companion yes, at one point. Yes, I was. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you know, like I always kind of toy with the idea because, uh, you know, I used to just think, you know, oh, this is possible. Maybe, you know, like this would be like an ideal job for me because I was going to school at the time. And I had a friend uh, who also uh, got in trouble that but I didn't really know the extent of her activities. Um, she was a companion, too. Right. And, you know, this like an agency. No, this is just like a, an independent companion. Um, she was my friend, you know, when I was just like um, civilian, let's say. Right. That's what we call them. So, um, you know, like I, I knew that she was doing something right. So with my idea of like, oh, you know, maybe that's like a fun job, whatever. Um, you know, I realized or she eventually told me that she was a companion also. So I'm like, okay, this is too much of a coincidence. And she's the one that introduced me to my ex-husband. 
because she was the one that was used to take pictures with him. Right, he was uh, a photographer. Yeah, he, he was a photographer. So she's the one that uh, he used to take her pictures. So um, she introduced me, and from that point on, you know, like we, you know, we became friends, whatever, and we ended up getting married. So, so the so how are you getting clients? Like, I mean, is there a website? Is yes. There- Yes. Um, so you advertise. Uh, there are several websites. Um, Eros is one of them. Um, you know, e- Eros, Eros. Eros Guide. Yes, okay. Eros Guide. They are the main website right now. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes like there was other smaller websites, uh, P411. Um, you have the erotic review, which is like the review website, like it's the Yelp for companions in a way. Right. So you can advertise there, but I think that you know most of the better clientele comes from Eros. Uh, sometimes at some point, Backpage too, uh, but obviously Backpage, you know, had such a bad reputation towards right. the end. So, but that's you know right. that's where the good clients come from. So you're saying? So you explained to me earlier that you know you. You and the other women call yourselves companions because basically escort being known as an escort has a, a bad connotation to it. It's you're thinking that as an escort, you know, typically it has some type of there, there's sex involved. But being a companion, you were saying a lot of the times you're just you're just going with somebody to dinner or on vacation or that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, and I feel like. Also, people, uh, like you said, it's right. Like, there's a negative connotation associated to that. So being a companion is a more, uh, you need to actually uh, be uh, more exclusive, upscale. Um, You know, ideally, you speak several languages, not just one. Ideally, you went to college or you're going to college because you're going to be dealing with a lot of very powerful people that probably won't be okay with just somebody that is not doesn't really know how to um socialize or right. you know behave so right. i i mean i actually i actually knew a guy when i was locked up his girlfriend there was an older guy he was like 75 years old and he had been retired his wife had died like i don't know 20 years earlier or something and she basically like they went to venice for 2 weeks they went you know she was young. She was late twenties and she's going with him to all these different places. And, and you know, he, he was like, yeah. And I was like, so she's like an escort. He's like, yeah, but she didn't sleep with him. And I was like, what? And he's like, no, he's like, he's 75 years old. It's, you know, he, he goes, she basically just goes with him. And, you know, she, she, she speak, she spoke a couple different languages. she, and she traveled with him all over the place. And I was like, I don't, I did, I didn't, I am like, why would he's like, I don't know. He's like, he goes, I'm sure she, he would, but and I don't know. Maybe he was, I don't think, I don't know. I was going to say maybe, maybe she was lying to him, but the guy was 75. He was way older than her. And he, you know, he looked at her like a daughter or something. And they just, he wanted someone to be there to hang out with him, to spend time with. So, I mean, I'm sure a lot of times it's, it's much more than that. But in that case, like, I just remember him telling me this and he would, Oh, she just got back from Belgium. She just got yes. back from. So yes, and you so get that, to do, and you get to do like incredible things in that line of work, right? Things that you probably, probably just as a regular person, you would never be able to do. Right. So yeah, I mean, people think that it's just about being, you know, intimate with clients, and that's not always the case because you know some people 
don't necessarily want that. Some people just want to be next to a beautiful woman at a restaurant or like on, go on vacation and, you know, like enjoy the conversation um, and, and, you know, just someone that they can go to dinner with. Right. So, um, and obviously that requires compensation. So right. that's uh, the misconception. Well, so. so, but at some point you opened your own place. Correct. And how did, how did that take place? You just, well, I mean, I think you're it's. Basically, uh, you're basically running it yourself anyway. You started doing it for other girls. Yes. Or women. Because I think that it's a uh, um, normal transition, right? Everybody, like, you know, when you love, like, like something and you're pretty good at it, you're like, okay, let me scale up, right? right. I want to be like a business owner. I w- always wanted to be a business owner anyway. So my ex-husband was like, okay, you know, like you're very successful in what you're doing. Um, you know, I had a smaller agency that only did Miami, which, you know, it was much easier for me. But he was like, you know, I'm going to introduce you to my, you know, uh, former business partner who's also on my indictment. So he's the one that connected us so that, you know, we can expand uh, together because she was also his client. She he used to take her pictures as an independent companion and he used to take the pictures of the girls that work for her. So, you know, and and in retrospect, I feel like he also did it to benefit himself because the bigger we got, the more business he'll get. Right. Right. The more, uh, you know, the busier he'll he'll be, which, you know, ended up being the case and the reason why he got indicted. Right. So but I saw in the indictment that there was the the photography. Yes. Business was money was being run through the the photography. No, no. What happened was that. by him referring, I mean, it's conspiracy. That that was one of the charges too. So he did something to further our activities. And, you know, he was referring girls to us. Okay. So he was getting referral fees from us. So he was involved besides being a photographer. So Well, I mean, I I guess maybe I I made that leap because in the indictment, there's like, you know, there's this this account had 400 and some odd thousand going through it. This account had, you know, whatever, 80,000, this account, like mm-hmm. they were showing these different accounts that had money going through them. And it was in the same yeah. general area. Yeah. I assumed it was through the, uh, yeah, the it's, you business. know, I mean, he loaned their money too, because obviously he was getting uh, paid with proceeds of right. our activities. And at the same time, he was getting kickbacks from us or like referral fees. And he was also taking pictures. Right. So, um, so, so yeah, he was very involved. So, Basically, so what did you do? You set up a website and um, then you start what you have the girls do some kind of a shoot. They put Yes. Like a- so, I mean, you know, we run our agencies like regular companies, um, you know, in the sense that we had a website, we had an office, we had, um, a f- you know, full time staff, um, marketing um yeah so mainly websites and make sure that we had a great customer service we had a lot of uh also booking forms so yeah it was pretty organized it was you know very organized right so where were the bulk of the the women coming from um mainly they were from south america they were from venezuela colombia um some of them were from europe um, but yeah, I mean, they came voluntarily, nobody right. forced them to come, you know, but obviously, um, you know, it's understandable that they were coming because, you know, where they came from, it was really bad. Yeah, of course. So, 
Right. So, so, well, so they're coming in for what, like 90 days and they work for 90 days and then they go back or. Yeah. Whatever. Because Juan had mentioned. Yeah, something. of course. Uh, well, I mean, uh, we never encouraged them to overstay. Like right. I, I always made that clear because I didn't want to deal with them staying here illegally working, you know, with well, then, us. Then it's an issue for them to come back too. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. And you know, like obviously, uh, I wanted to make sure that we didn't have a lot of liability on that sense. And, uh, you know, so they stayed for whatever time they got their um, visa for or like be allowed to come uh, for. So and then they went back. They stayed in their country for a little bit or do whatever they needed to do. And then they came back whenever they were able to come back. So so what kind of like who? What kind of money are they making? I mean, what kind of what's it? They the made chart? a lot of money. Yeah, I know, they I mean, made I'm, a lot I'm of sure. money. Like some of them made like ten grand a week. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, and not only that. I mean, not only they made money just because of their donations. Let's say because that's what we call them. Right. Like the considerations that the uh, that the clients pay, but they were also getting uh, gifts and uh, different things. You know, the clients clients are very generous. So. Right. Um, you know, so they were they wanted to make sure that the girls were happy and they would get tips. So, yeah. OK, what? So how long did this this go on? I mean, were there any issues like like what we kind of issues? We <laughs> like, had issues. We had issues. We had issues and mainly issues because I feel like some girls didn't understand that this was a real business. Right. This was not a fly by night operation where like. You know, you set up shop and you're like, start sending them clients. No, I mean, we were serious about what we were doing um, and they didn't follow the rules. So they would uh, be loud in hotels. So sometimes like, you know, the cops will show up or like they would uh, not follow our uh, safety protocols. So sometimes, you know, clients took their stuff. Even though we told them, like, you know, they need to, like, secure their uh, personal property or they need to secure the donation. So, you know, like, yes. And there was there were times where cops showed up, but you just have to deal with it. Right. Um, you know, or some girls were, like, intoxicated, which is something that it was frowned upon. Um, so, yeah, there were issues. And the clients are coming from what all over the United States? Like the yes. girls are coming from all over the world. The clients are within the United States. Or are they in other countries? What or? happened was that we sent, we used to send the girls on tour for a week. So we would send them to North Carolina. We would send them to uh, Pennsylvania. We would send them to Ohio, different parts of the United States. So like we had like a large, large list of clients. So because we did so much marketing then the clients would go see them at their hotel like during that week. Right. So, so they would fly all over the United States. Like I had like sometimes 18, 20 girls working in one week in 18, 20 different cities. And are you, are you like arranging like their flights? I mean, is, are these, and the, the clients are the clients, the clients are paying your company and then you're arranging everything? No, the clients, no, we would send them like, weekly somewhere right so the girls were able they were responsible for taking care of their travel and everything else because to me that was the main crime like facilitating or transporting them right and i was totally against it but you know i'm not gonna take less responsibility for it because i i fully knew that my business partner was on board for doing this because sometimes they would be like oh i don't have any money okay let us pay for your ticket. Let us pay for your hotel. And then you can go work and you can refund us. But um, I didn't want to do that. 
that you know it had to be done because otherwise they couldn't work so how are you getting paid like if, if the clients aren't paying you directly they're paying they're paying they're paying the girls and, and the girls would go to the bank no the girls oh. would go to the bank and make deposits every day and that was the other problem because obviously you know the banks were raising red flags like uh, suspicious activity reports like they call it so they were sending this information to the government because the deposits were they i think at some point they thought that we were doing structuring but it was not like that because obviously like you know sometimes it would be less than a thousand dollars every every it was you know like Right. minimal quantity so they probably thought that you know we were running some sort of funky thing right. structuring is when you're trying cash a check for instance you try and cash a check under or you get multiple you're getting a payment of over ten thousand dollars and you're pulling cash out but you try and structure it in a way that you can cash that out not, less than the reporting yes. so 10, you do 000. it in small like right bits and pieces of uh right. so deposits. you don't walk in and say i need twelve thousand in cash because you know that's going to be a ccr or yeah. you know it's going to be a um you know it's going to be a, a suspicious activity so you say give me five thousand and then and give me a money order for this and then two days later you say give me another three thousand and just to try and keep it they're saying yeah. when you said structuring most people don't know what structuring yeah is. of course so like i think that was a suspicious at the beginning because they were like oh there's deposits for like you know, like every day, like for a thousand, for five hundred, for six hundred right. in different parts of the United States. So they were like, you know, uh, suspicious of that. And then, you know, like they started closing our accounts. So, yeah, yeah it was issue. very complicated. Yeah, it's so. an issue. I know it's an issue. Um, <laughs> um, so, I mean, this went on for like three years. Like, yes. like were there, I mean, did any of the girls get arrested? Were no, there... none of our girls got arrested right. ever. So what, what was actually, so what was the government saying that you had actually done that was illegal, illegal that you were, you were facilitating prostitution? Prostitution is right. illegal. Um, right. You know, it shouldn't be, right. but it is. Um, obviously, I was breaking the law right. by uh, facilitating them to commit prostitution they were not forced they were not coerced they were like adults uh willing adults doing this but obviously i had some part of responsibility into making sure that they were doing that so and i was benefit i was getting a benefit from their activities so i was laundering money as well so how did the the whole i mean how did the whole case kind of like unravel yeah unravel because i mean you know you're saying you weren't there were no arrests like you didn't see this coming what did it just come out of nowhere did you kind of um well i feel like you know because all these women coming through the airport really young girls that were coming frequently to the united states with no job or like no occupation from like venezuela colombia and everything um yeah they you know it raised red flags for the feds and at the same time um I don't have confirmation of this, but I feel like that's one of the reasons. Uh, Eros Guide, the website that I was telling you about, they got raided. So when you advertise with them, you have to send your passport or your ID um, so they know who you are. So I suspect that when they raided Eros, all that database and everything, the feds had it. So it was just a matter of time. Okay, like, you know, she owns this. Here's her passport. And these girls work for her. So it's a matter of like matching that with like them coming and going, get stopped at the airport, probable cause of them coming in prostitution. So get one of the girls, have the girls flip, and then we have everybody. And this is what happened. 
All right. Plus the bank and, you know. Right, right. But, well, I mean, so did, did you know there was an investigation going on at any time? Or did you just one I day, mean, did you get raided? How no, did, we never got raided. Um, you got a letter because, to turn yourself in? What? Uh, no, what happened was that, uh, you know, we like girls started to get like picked up at the airport. Um, so we were like, oh, my God, you know, this is not good. Um, but we didn't with, with a client or no, just by themselves. The girls their... were coming. They weren't even working for me at the time. Right. Some of them. This is after the fact they had gone to do their thing. I suspect that maybe like maybe I don't have confirmation of this, but I, you know, I heard that one of them was bringing drugs here. So in order for her to like get off, out of his her mess, she turned on us. So but I, I don't have confirmation of that. But, you know, it's something I. I it's I could consider so um so yeah so they started getting picked up they started getting calls from the agents and everything you know and we knew that at some point um we were gonna get picked up right. and we just kept working and we got picked up so so how how did that happen well it was May thirty first two thousand eighteen um I used to live in uh in an apartment in Midtown. Um, so yeah, the feds just came knocking on my door and the thing is like the crazy thing, my ex-husband got picked up, not, he didn't get picked up first. They, they did a search warrant at the studio and they got like his computers and everything else. But, uh, I mean, so, and our attorney at the time was the same attorney that was representing him and, and helping him with that. So the attorney was like, don't worry about it. You know, like, we'll take care of this instead of being proactive and saying, listen, like, you know, they are after you guys. Let's like go talk to them. Maybe we can like do some damage control here. No, he was like, don't worry. Uh, Everything is okay. I don't think anything is going to happen. That happened in, I'll say, April 2018. And a month after we got picked up. So, yeah, it was terrible. Yeah. So you definitely know it was coming. Um, I knew it. I mean, it's weird because like I told you, our attorney was assuring us that nothing was going to happen. They're yet the worst. they, you know, and even when I got picked up, I was like, okay, this guy claims that is not that bad. Right. So maybe he knows something. I don't know. But at the end, I realized that he was a con artist. Uh, so, right. you know, that was a problem too. Yeah. Yeah. He took our, I mean, and if he's listening, I hope that he, ev- he gets this bar <laughs> because that's what he deserves yeah, for a, taking money from people and uh, creating unnecessary conflicts and all those things. Yeah, it's a license to steal. Yeah. Um, give me one second. Okay. So uh, today's podcast is sponsored by me. And here's why we're looking at different ways to kind of generate revenue so that I can do more and more stuff on the YouTube channel and on YouTube in general. Uh, one of the, one of the things is I have a Patreon account right now. We're looking to kind of revamp the Patreon account and get more into it and figure out ways to generate uh, income and more, uh, you know, more people to, uh, to join the Patreon. We're going to do a tier system and we're thinking about like maybe doing a weekly vlog so do me a favor and let me know in the comments what you think I should be doing on Patreon or what you'd like to see on Patreon and the channel. Also, I'd like to also mention real, real quick that one of the ways I generate money and pay my bills is because I do have a degree in fine arts. Um, I paint paintings. Here is Marilyn Monroe, big seller. People love Marilyn. And I have 
So I have multiple paintings. Like I, I, I do these. These are modified screen prints. Uh, they sell for two eighty five, and that includes me shipping them to you. So it's a straight two eighty five, and I'll ship it to you. They're super cool, and I appreciate it. And let us know. And so I think we're going back to the story. Yeah, it's it's funny because everybody thinks they're always like you know attorneys. They're always you know oh well I, I got an attorney. Yeah, but did you get the right attorney? You know what I'm saying? Because there's and that's very subjective. That's very subjective because obviously when you're in trouble, I mean, I had, and you know, I was thinking the other day, I had three attorneys before we even got picked up, and they were all con artists. And then the fourth attorney was another con artist. So, like you know, my only, uh, you know, my my only history with attorneys was that okay, maybe all of them are like that, but. You know, I wasn't in trouble back then. And when I got, you know, when I was in trouble, then this guy just, you know, yeah. he completely screwed us. So. Yeah. Give me $25,000. I Oh, just no. Gotta, eh, I mean. I'm friends with the, or whatever, 50 or whatever. I'm friends with the judge. I'm going to get this quash. It's not going to be yes. a big deal. No, that it's was probation. another attorney. I had, yeah, you know, throughout got, my case. They like, have their lines. I'm friends with your judge. I have lunch with your judge. Um, I got your prosecutor his job. And that's another one. I hope she gets this bar too. It's, so. it's funny. I've met guys in Coleman that were arrested and they had the same attorney and they would get arrested on like a state charge that was clearly going to go federal. And the lawyer would say, look, I don't do federal. You know, I do state. It's, you know, give me this much money. I'm going to take care of anything that happens state. I'll got you. I've got you. Uh, well, do you think it's going to go federal? I wouldn't even worry about it going federal because there's no way this is going federal. It's not big enough, but. He already knows it's going federal. You're transporting drugs between multiple state lines. You got caught driving over the over from Georgia to Florida with drugs. Like it's going federal, and they're twenty grand, and they take twenty grand, and they know that two weeks later it's going to go federal. And then they go, "Yeah, I don't do federal. I'm sorry." Or bro. they are like, "Oh, I got your case dismissed." Yes, because the f- the feds yeah, the picked feds it pay, up. Yeah. Yeah, oh, they'll right. they'll pick. Right. Yeah, I got your release. They'll pick you up. They're, yes, they're gonna pick like, you up on the courtroom steps yes. as yeah. you're walking out of the holdover. They're gonna grab you. Yeah, and attorneys. I mean, I hate to say it. I mean, I work for one who's very ethical, but most of them are very unethical because they know that you're desperate. They know that they don't want to spend a lot of time in prison, and they know that whatever you have left, you'll spend not to do that. And you know, they take your money. They disappear. They promise you things that are not even possible. And next thing you know, you're yeah. like going away for a long time. It's funny. My first attorney I paid, first time I got in trouble, I paid $75,000. And he was like, when I first talked to him, he went over the sentencing guidelines with me and explained to me that when he showed me the guidelines, like he's telling me what this line means, what this line means. He's like, you're right here. That's basically, that's three years in, in prison plus probation. I was like, are you serious? Now keep in mind, nothing changed in my case. So give me $75,000 and I'm going to try and get you probation. Gave him the $75,000. Now that I understand the sentencing guidelines and I look back and I know what the, the graph means, I was never facing prison. It was always probation. So he got me three years probation. But the truth is I was never, I could have gone to a, to a public defender and gotten probation. Yeah. I paid him 75 grand. I got three years probation, which I was always facing, but he, I was terrified. Like I'm ready to give you everything I got to keep me out of prison. And you know, so, I mean, now I, you know, now you know better and hopefully I never have to talk to another uh, attorney in that position anyway. Yeah. I mean, so it's hard. Yeah. It's, it's bad. It's like, 
you know, look, it, it, it's important to pick the right attorney. Yes, really. very. Especially I, I, I had a, I had a client. Listen, I know a guy one time. His family picked an attorney because simply because he spoke Spanish, but the but the guy actually spoke. The guy actually spoke English, but he also spoke Spanish. So why would you pick an attorney? Who would do that? That's ridiculous. That's what that was your. I I did a wrote a story on a guy named Doug Dodd. His family picked his attorney because. His first name was Doug. His dad's first name was Doug. And Doug's name was Doug. And he said, yeah, you know, it's Doug, Doug, Doug. So I just felt good about him. Oh, my God. That's what, And he paid him 40 grand. You paid, him 40, you paid me 40 grand? Because his name's Doug? What are, you, what are you doing? So anyway, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, like just to uh, elaborate on that, because it's very important, right? A lot of yeah. people like you, like, you know, myself, um, you know, and some people are, they go uh, and hire retained attorneys because of the name. No, yeah. that's not. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't want to do that either. I mean, maybe, but sometimes you don't ever know. Yeah, you hire the firm and then they end up giving your case to an associate. You're not even going to get the main yeah. guy. Yeah, I've so, seen that quite yeah. a few times. So you got to be careful. Um, I know a guy that walked around Coleman talking about how he, he had a Dershowitz as his, oh, his okay. attorney. <laughs> but it, it, and he did. But you didn't have like Alan Dershowitz. You had like his cousin was like Tom Dershowitz, who also happens to be like, what are you doing? What, yeah. What are you? Th- yeah. Well, yeah, but his, he, you know, he can call him anytime. What are you, what, what are you doing? You know, anyway. Um, so you got, you got grabbed. You got, did you get probation? I mean, I'm not probation. I'm sorry. Did you get out on bond? Yes, I was. Really? Uh, yeah, I was out nice. on bond. Well, I mean, I had to wait because Again, uh, my case didn't involve coercion. It didn't involve minors. I mean, it was like uh, mainly money laundering and, you know, um, transporting these women. Um, at the beginning, uh, yeah, my bond was, uh, what was it? 250000 with a Nevia condition. Yeah. What's a Nevia? Nevia is, uh, you have to make sure that the funds that you're paying your bond are clear. Oh, okay. the, the funds that you're paying your bond with are clear. So you had a Nevia condition. Okay. Um, which we met. And um and then, you know, like I was out on bond for like eight months. And then, you know, I had to go and go back in again. So And you were sentenced to... I was sentenced to fifteen months by one of the best judges in the world. I love her. She's amazing. <laughs> um Yes. You don't hear that. You don't hear that a lot. I love her. She's the, like the most amazing person. And I mean, thanks to her is that the, I got the time that I got because had it been for my attorneys, I would have gotten the maximum. She is, you know, an incredible person. She's very kind. She's very wise. Um, you know, and she saw it right through that, you know, what they were trying to give me, what the government wanted. It was unfair. What did the government want to give you? Uh, I was, my guidelines were... Uh, 31 to 37, um, I ended up getting 15. Yes, 31 to 37 months. And wow. I ended up, first time so, offender, 31, 37, yeah, so what? 31 like 15, to 37. That's 15, about what, 10 to 15 years? No, 31 to 7, 37 months. Oh, months, I yes. thought you meant, okay. No, 31 to 37 months. But still, like, you know, for the conduct, it was excessive. It was a right. lot because there was no coercion, no nothing. Like, adults... You yeah, know. yeah. No, and nobody's, crime, nobody's, nobody's saying it's no, nobody. No, okay, you know, this, they were willing participants. Like, you know, they were free to come and go as they please. But, you know, so the judge saw it right through and, you know, she gave me, you know, she gave me what's just. What's reasonable. Yeah, yeah. what's reasonable. Um, 
Yeah, I didn't get bond. When they caught me, I had three or four passports on me. Yeah, um, I mean. That's, yeah, that, that was upsetting. Fly risk. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I tried to, I told them, I'm good for it. I'll, I'll be here. I'm not going. I'll be, I'll, no. Um, okay, so uh, how, where'd you do your time? Uh, Federal Detention Center in Miami. In the detentions? You never went to an actual no, prison? No, because my security level, because of the... I mean, it's weird because, again, my attorneys advised me incorrectly to plead to something instead of the other thing. Right. Uh, so I pled to the charge that because they have no idea about what happens in prisons or how you get designated or like your security level. Right. Uh, my charge, it's somehow a sex offense, even though it's not a sex offense. Yeah. It has a sexual component, but I'm not a sex offender. Right. So Do you have to register? No. Oh. No, no, because again, there yeah, was no contact or no enticement or any yeah, of but that. The, the sex offender registry, you know, it's pretty broad. Like they'll, they'll put anybody in it. Like you don't yes. have to, Yeah. you know, yeah. so I was yeah. wondering if, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, and that was another mistake that was made at the beginning because, um, you know, they didn't, my attorney didn't read anything correctly, so they had to fix that, um, but no, I mean, you know, but that caused me to end up like, you know, my security level was higher, so I couldn't qualify for camp. Had I pled to money laundering, I would have qualified for camp. Right. But no, I had to go to a detention center, which is like um, administrative facility. So it's a, lo- it's a security level low. Yeah. So, so where, um, so how long have you been out? Um, I got out January 24, 2020. So about, about year and a half yes and you're already working uh you already have a job working yes. for a law yes. firm yes. and you're on probation and you're you're doing yes. well or yeah i'm you know i'm fine i'm fine i'm going to law school hopefully in august so that was i was supposed to be in law school when this happened but obviously that didn't happen did, so i'm back on track did you ever fight did you ever file 2255 or anything or you just said, i wanted oh. to i wanted to but um because um i was waiting for a rule 35 because i cooperated then my attorney at the time didn't think it was a good idea because you're either with the government or against the government right. so creating 2255s is right. not gonna get you a rule 35 yeah 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 oh yeah so. definitely so all right everything's yeah oh all right good Like that because, like, you know, you title a video making, making certain amount of money. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so, yeah, just like the, or, you know, that. what's the most? Um, yep. well, I mean, look, sometimes it could be 10,000 on a weekend, sometimes it could be a little bit more. Um, so yeah, I mean, depends on so there were girls that were making 10,000 a weekend, or yes, I mean, obviously, they had to, uh, you know, they, they get, have to pay the referral fee to the agency, but right. they, you know, they got to keep a chunk of money. And, you know, that, that's the thing. We always took care of the girls. Right. We were never greedy. Like, we always wanted to make sure that we told everything up front, um, you know, but they were doing well. And that's why they kept coming back. We didn't keep them like prisoners or anything. You know, they would go and come back. So, so. they're going, so they're, they're coming to the United States for 90 days or so. And then going back to Colombia with 30 or 50 or 100 or 60, yeah. 70, 70 yeah. I know some of the girls were making like, had made like 
was it like 80 grand or some of these? I mean, some, some of them of made a lot of money. Right. Yeah. And so they're going back money. to Columbia with 80 grand. That's like $400,000 or something in the U.S. Yeah, you know, yeah. That's a chunk of money. You know, and in retrospect, I'm, you know, I'm glad that I was able to help them, uh, you know, have a better life because obviously with that, some of them uh, bought apartments. Some of them went back to college. They were able to help their family. So, yeah, a lot of, you know, they were able to uh, accomplish a lot right. while they were, you know, working here. So, right. you know. Any other questions? Yeah, I mean, throughout the whole process, any, like, when something goes wrong or any crazy stories that... that um, I mean, there's great, like I said, you know, there was cops that, you know, would, like, knock on their door and they would freak out and everything, so... Are they calling uh, you at this them, time? Um, like, are they calling you to say, hey, the cops are here, or... Well, I mean, we retained an attorney that uh, he was in-house counsel. So right. he, you know, he prepared our protocol and everything, so they were supposed to call him. But sometimes, you know, they didn't call him, they call me or whoever, but, you know, like, we had to tell them to stay calm, and, you know, sometimes, like, in reality, it wasn't even related to what they were doing. It was just related to, yeah, they're just, they're just like, drinking and you being know, loud. yeah, like, you know, things like that. Or maybe, um, I mean, I mean, I'm not going to say that maybe a couple of times it was because of that, because, you know, like they were not discreet enough because we wanted them to, like, not be walking around the hotel with, like, provocative clothes, you know, and just be understated. Right. Uh, but isn't that inevitable? And, you know, but you just have to deal with it and make sure that they are safe. That was, you know, the main thing that they don't freak out, that they don't feel like we leave them hanging. So, yeah. So what's, like, what's kind of like the rules that you give somebody if they just started, like a quick, quick rundown? Well, I had a code of conduct. Like, you know, I was reading that the other day uh, and, you know, I was like, wow, I mean, I can't believe I even wrote this. But, um, yeah, it's crazy. It's like, you know, what they give you an introduction when you apply for, like, a job or something. Right. So, um, well, I mean, you know, like, they had to be um, uh, look, look good, you know, like, uh, demean like uh, appearance, demeanor, be professional, uh, treat clients right. Because, you know, obviously there was reviews written, so you don't want clients to write like negative things about them or us because they would have been a mess um you know just keep keep uh the rooms clean because they were in hotels and sometimes they leave everything a mess um you know and always be safe always make sure that um, you know whoever we're telling you that you're meeting with that you make sure that you're meeting with that person uh, check their id uh, follow the rules, um, no drugs, no alcohol, um, you know, always constantly check in with us, talk to us, let us know, you know, do you want to go on a break? Let us know. So that way we are not messing up your schedule. And, um, you know, and like, just be responsible because a lot of these girls, um, unfortunately, like they, you know, they don't, they never had a job before, right. so they don't know how to behave. And, uh, you know, we try to train them and make sure that, you know, they were compliant with, you know, the rules that they were there for a reason. Right. So, so, but at no point when these guys are contacting, they're not, con they're basically contacting them saying, Hey, I need, I need a, I need someone to show up and go to dinner or whatever. They're not calling up and saying, Hey, I need, I need someone to come by my place and have sex. No. 
No. That was if, if they no. did. What would... We would never book anybody that talk explicitly to explicit in that explicit right. manner to us because. First of all, it's a red flag. You should yeah, never yeah. do that. And second of all, it's in poor taste. I feel like, you know, uh, you should never do that. But because you real- wouldn't do it to a civilian, maybe. I mean, you would, but especially to us that we have so much liability. Why would we, put out, why would we want to put ourselves out there like right. that? Could be they, a cop. But, uh, but the guy, but they kind of know it's it's very possible this is where this could lead. Like, I mean, are I these mean, girls... I mean, obviously, but if you think about it, even in the context of, like, the regular going on war... A date, yeah, like, going on yeah, a date or I whatever. Mean, what do you guys expect? Like, you're taking a girl out to dinner, like, you know, you hope that eventually, if, you know, the stars align, that something is going to happen. And, you know, we all know what's going on, but Are you suggesting never... that men take women out to dinner and buy them dinner expecting sex? I mean, that's... I... I... I'm not going to sit here and listen to that. No, go ahead. Of course. I mean, you know, like, but I mean, I'm not going to deny maybe some men want to get to know, uh, you know, whoever they are taking out to dinner. But I mean, there's expectations, right? The girl expects to be treated certain way. The guy expects to, you know, receive something in return. I mean, it could be that the girl kisses him. It could be that the girl holds his hand, but it could be that the girl, you know, if the chemistry right. is right, maybe they go somewhere. So it's really just saying, hey, wanted to come by, have dinner, be a companion, hang out, well, and then nobody, okay, so nobody's ever saying anything about sex. They're just saying, let's hang out. Like, well, I mean, look, and they had their, uh, the reason why they stayed in hotels is because clients would come to see them in hotels for, it was an hourly thing. Mainly people book for an hour. Because they, these were really busy people. So right. the girls would stay in a hotel. Clients would book appointments and then we'll book them. Some of them were dinner dates. Some of them decided to take them on weekend vacations. But mainly they were hourly appointments. Okay. So, um, you know, volume. Like seeing a lot of people. So. I'm a big fan of volume. So. <laughs> what else? Anything? So, like, your business. Like, what? You're, you're really, you're really very curious about this. <laughs> it's, you know, you so, to something to think about. <laughs> so, like. How you had your business set up to an outsider, like if they look at your business, like what would they think it was? I mean, they would They're think just, it's just a regular, legitimate business. It's an, I mean, and again, a, like it's not illegal. It's not illegal to to hire an escort to come and have dinner with you. That's not illegal. It's not illegal to provide compensation yeah. in, a, in like to compensate someone for their time, right? Right, because that's the premise that I mean, I thought that we were safe in that area, but then when you have like you know like when that transpires into something else that's when you're breaking the law and obviously you know it's like catch 22 you're not compensating somebody without the expectation that they something else is gonna happen so yeah but you know that's a great area i guess my one last question is like was there one point for you where you knew that it could scale like into a business or like was there like a moment of realization for you that you knew that you could scale this Yes, I mean, look, it was, I mean, we wanted to open as many agencies as possible. Even though we were the biggest ones, like, we wanted to open as many as possible. We even thought about opening somewhere else in other countries and everything else. But um, it was very stressful, too, because obviously you have to be responsible for so many women, even though you have staff. And at the same time, uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of liability because the more agencies you have, the more girls you have out there, uh, you multiply the risk by, you know, increments of whatever. 
So, yeah, I mean, of course, because I was making a lot of money. I wanted to right. make more money. But how? at the same time, you know. So how much money were you making? Like, would you say a year or whatever? Um, what were you bringing in? I mean, uh, let's say that, you know, we were making about, I mean, I would say at least more or less like a million a year. I would think you're, you're bringing your that. Is yeah, but then you. you have no, but then you know, like we don't profit a lot from that. Like you know, we were getting that you know discount the cost. I, I don't you know honestly, I don't really know like exactly. I mean, we made a lot of money. I cannot tell you a, a exact amount because um, a lot of things we uh, you know paid our rents with and everything else. So yeah, yeah. Uh, like personal gain. Um, yeah, I mean, we made money. Yeah. But, you so know, you're saying like even... gross, you're grossing around a million, but you're also paying out staff, yes, you're paying yes, rent, yes, you're yes, paying yes, for yes, things like yes, that, yes. right? I mean, I okay. mean, bottom line, I had a great life. I'm yeah. not going to lie, but you know, I cannot give you exact amount. I don't. I understand. Yeah, this, this is uh, any, anybody <laughs> I famous. Can, I mean, there was a lot of famous people. There was a lot of important people, very powerful men, but you know, I... We never, you know, it's not, but it's you, our code. We right. cannot talk but about you have it. To, so. yeah. But yeah. I have to live yeah. in Miami and I have to Yeah, I mean, there was, I'm not going to lie. There was a lot of powerful people, but obviously, like, you know, so, I will always protect their identity. So, so. What, what is in general, I mean, I'm sure it changed subtly, but what is an hour cost? Well, it depends. Like sometimes it would hey. be hey. 300 an hour, 400 an hour. Um, yeah, it varies. Yeah. Like, you well, know, the girls set their own rate. Yeah, it's a and like it would charge. be more like you multiply that by, you know, or uh, it depends. Some girls wanted to charge more. I mean, you know, they set up, they set their rates, but, um, you know, average 300, 350, 400, because you have to stay competitive. It's right. market rate. You're not going to go uh, to a place where the average is, you know, 300, 350 and charge 600. When maybe there's someone that looks like you that is sharp. I mean, you know, you have to like analyze all these things and stay competitive because, you know, from our perspective too, we don't want somebody to come here and be like, oh, you sent me somewhere and, you know, it was not successful. So I don't want to come back. So we wanted to keep them happy. That was our main thing. So the, the women that you're getting, these are, are these like, how are they contact? How are you, how are they con they're contacting you or? Well, we had. We, I mean, me, you friends know, of friends. We used to advertise. Talk? We used to advertise okay. a lot too. Um, you know, in different uh, websites. You know, we had other contacts throughout, like the world. Let's say that would like do recruiting for us. Uh, but mostly it was referrals, like from other girls. My ex-husband would refer us girls too. Um, yeah, word of mouth, or you know, hey, my girlfriend wants to come. Right. Um, you know, and we, like. You know, and we also, I mean, that's a crazy thing. And uh, we would also give girls referral fees. Like you send me your friend, we'll give you a referral fee too. You know, so because we were fair. So what, what is, what was your split? If somebody's making a thousand dollars, what are you getting? So uh, we charge a flat fee for every appointment. So let's say that um, the girl charged 300, we took a hundred. Okay. So, and sometimes for like longer dates, it was percentage, but it was a flat fee because uh, we didn't want to get into the whole like, oh, you're taking a lot of money from us. So it was flat fee, no confusions. Everybody right. knows so what's then you're going just trying on. Trying to work in bulk, it's just yeah, the yeah, it's volume, it's volume. volume. But I mean, look, some girls like they didn't have to do volume because they were so popular that 
a client, one client would book them for like extended dates, like, you know, a week or like three days or whatever. So some of them didn't have to do that. But that's, you know, that's how you do it. Call me. You're all good. Do you, you want the name of the website again? Okay. All right. I mean, I can give it to I, you. I have no problem. <laughs> I have no shame right now. <laughs> I have hey, no shame. Anything else from the peanut gallery? <laughs> uh, what do I do with the other 52 minutes that I have left after I for the hour? <laughs> <laughs> you just nice. stare at the ceiling, okay? <laughs> you just stare at the ceiling. No, and that's the thing. Like, you know, uh, I want to make sure and clarify that it was not like a sex romp. Like, people are going to yeah, think yeah. like in an hour I can... No. That's not the case. It was never the case. You know, like, I feel like clients appreciate being in the presence of a beautiful woman. So they want to talk to her. They want to hang out with her. Some of them would bring them lunch. So they would have lunch with them. You know, like they did their thing. They would have lunch with them. Or they would have a glass of wine with them. Or they would talk about, I mean, the most random things that, you know. But that's, you know, I mean, it's companionship. Like, I know it's hard to understand and put that concept in their minds, but... It's um, just not about sex. I'm 52. I understand. I, I, I like this. Right. Oh, he's your date. He's your nice, date. Okay. Nice. <laughs> We're leaving. Anything? Uh, nothing? We're good? Uh, I mean, is there any, any similarities between all the like, men that you had? Like, like any characteristics that you noticed in like, all of them? Like, they're just one of like, companionship? Like what type of life they lived? Or, um, well, look, most of our clients were married. Um, and obviously, are you suggesting that a married man? Sorry, go ahead. No, I mean, they were married. And the reason why, I mean, look, things get complicated, right? Like, you know, it's easier to see a girl for an hour than to have a girlfriend that might text you at random hours of the night. And she's going to get very emotional and dramatic and she's going to destroy your marriage. Yeah. At Show some up at point. your house. And, yeah. yeah. Or your wife is going to find out. And then, you know, she's going to take you to the cleaner. So you end up with nothing. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, they were married, they were busy guys, very powerful, um, I'll say. Um, and very, they don't ha want the hassle. Like, they didn't want to deal with, like, drama. So, you know, go get someone for an hour. If they like them more, see her again. But just very practical um, and, you know, professional doctors, lawyers, uh, doctors, lawyers, uh, politicians. Uh, yeah. Professionals. So, professional. Yeah, professionals who don't have the time to have a girlfriend. Right. But some of them were single too and very good looking and very successful, but they oh. also don't want the drama. Athletes. Yes, athletes. athletes too. Now, is it just in Miami or was this all across all the over the world? The yeah. country. All over the country. Yeah. So I was just gonna say, um, there's that there's a saying, it's like you don't you're not you don't pay a prostitute for sex, you pay her to leave. Correct. You know? so. Correct, correct. But see, I mean, and that's, that's the thing, like, you know, it's practicality. Why would I want to deal with somebody that is going to uh, overstay their welcome when I can just like, you know, do what I have to do? And like I said, if I like her, maybe she'll stay longer. Right. So, but it gets, but don't get me wrong. It gets complicated. Some clients want to have the girls as, as girlfriends. Right. And when you ask me about problems, that was one of the problems that um, there's, you know, like either the girls or the clients, they don't differentiate between like, you know, paid companionship and being a girlfriend. So, and then well, that can get really messy too. Some guy who's making half a million dollars a year 
at 300 bucks is, is nothing. So Correct. I actually, plus I, but I do expect them to tip though. <laughs> uh, I read a, a memoir where this girl was seeing this guy. And at one point he wanted her to come and meet his family. And it was like, and she was like, no, you're not. Yeah. No, that's not what this no, is. Like no. he, in his mind, like to, to him, the, the fee was nothing. It was like, he stopped associating the fee with what was really happening. And he suddenly started thinking that it was a relationship and it's like it's yeah and that's when things get really messy because obviously again the girls are a fantasy right uh the girls are a fantasy so some of them are so good at the fantasy that the clients are like wow i mean this girl really loves me and you know wants to be with me for the rest of her life but you know like yeah i mean i'm not saying that people don't fall in love with the clients or clients don't fall in love with the girls but you know it starts in certain way uh and you have to respect that. And that was my battle with the clients and with the girls too. I'm like, listen, you can't be like, you know, like it's an hour, you book for an hour, you got to leave. You want to stay more, you compensate her more. But some of them want to hang out with them all day thinking that that's their girlfriend. Right. It's right. not their girlfriend. So. So if someone's, someone's got, she got two appointments right after each other. If someone wants to go longer, like after their first hour, they can't. Well, it depends, right? I mean, they're not back to back. There's a break. I mean, you know, like to make sure that everything is perfect. Uh, but I mean, depends if this, you know, there's a spot available, maybe. But that's why we always tell the clients, listen, like, you know, if you feel that you're going to have chemistry and you're going to have a good time with this girl or you really like her a lot, maybe you guys get along. Book in advance because we used to pre-book so many appointments before because we used to advertise before. Sometimes, you know, like they want to stay extra. They can. There's another appointment. So uh, I'm not going to disrupt other clients' lives because this client yeah. wants to stay longer. You have to be respectful of their time. Uh, one other question. Sure. Uh, as far as like the legality of it all, I know in America it's legal, but I'm sure in other countries it's... No, in America, no, it's, in America it's, it's illegal. illegal. That, you said illegal. Okay. Illegal in America, illegal in other countries. Like what are your thoughts like? There are some parts in, in America where it's There's legal. Only, only in Reno, right, in the right. Bunny Ranch or those dingy places that are horrible. I've never been there, but I've been told that it's horrible. Right. I mean, I'm, you know, maybe they are making it nice now. I don't know. Yeah, but it's, it's trailers. it should be legal because nobody should be able to tell you what you should do with your body. Your body, you should be able to do whatever you want. Like the same thing you do with your brain. And your whatever, like, you know, some people use their brain to create things. You should be able to use your body whichever way you want to, as long as it's not something that, uh, you know, like it's in your detriment. Like, you know, as long yeah. as you're not getting hurt. I, I had, I heard, and I'm not positive. Well, I mean, this is what I had heard. I actually saw, I read it, I forget. But basically in Russia, it, it must be legal because... In Russia, they did a they did a survey of middle school women. They were it was a, this had something to do with sex, uh, um, like in the world or whatever, and whatever, uh, just different people's viewpoints of sex. And it was somewhere like in Russia, Ukraine, or something, where they actually did a survey of middle school girls, and like thirty percent of them, when they said, "What do you want to do?" they wanted to enter the sex trade, and they were like, "Like Americans have a vastly different idea of sex than most mm -hmm. countries do." Like to them, it was like saying, I want to be a massage therapist. Like I want to enter the sex trade. This is, this is 14 year old girls 
in middle school that are, are openly saying this is what I want to do. I so, mean, yeah, I mean, you know, and so, I feel like there's a lot of hypocrisy in this country because, I mean, there's so many clients and some clients are politicians who probably oppose that this goes, you know. I mean, I don't think legal would be the world. I would think it would be more decriminalization de because yeah. I feel like when they regulate things, things get out of control. Just make it not a crime. That's it. I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not asking for them to make it legal because then the government interferes with everything and ends up being... Uh, a pain so yeah but i mean you know i feel like uh sex like the sex industry is so big i mean i think it's one of the ones that makes the most money in any country especially here because you still have porn that's you know uh, pornography that's another industry you have webcams that's another industry you have only fans which to me i mean you know like i mean what do you think the girls at only fans are doing like you know, yes, people look at their pictures, but I'm sure they get messages too. Hey, I want to meet you. Okay. It's going to be this much. It's prostitution. Right. But, right. you know, like if people think it's not, but it should be, people should be able to do whatever they want. As long as they are adults and have like, you know, a decision, uh, like, you know, they are able to decide uh, consciously what they want to do. They should be able to do whatever they want without yeah. government interference. All right. What else are we doing? Is that wrap it up? All right. I, I appreciate you coming. I thank know you. you drove here and uh, from Miami and yes. I appreciate it. And uh, this is Matt Cox. And if you like the if you like the podcast, subscribe, hit the bell, uh, the notification bell, like the video, share the video, leave a comment for the algorithm. And I appreciate you watching and see you.